I don't know, boys. I can't turn it down to start the show. <laughs> That's a good dude. Goddamn right it is. Just pause the show and we'll listen to the rest. Man, how old is that song? Oh, man. As lo- as old as Wayne's World 2, at least. Because <laughs> I remember... It's, it's older than us. That might have been, like, the first time I ever heard it was uh, she plays it in her band yeah. on the stage in Wayne's World. And I, you know. The Best of Sweet <clears throat> album came out in 1974. <laughs> that was the best of. Yeah. <laughs> so you know something before, before so it's, that. It's circa 1974. <laughs> Jeez. So, boys, and we are back for another week of SBS Live Fishing Podcasting. Okay, got that out of the way. So, uh, a lot of shit to talk about over the week we've been doing, and uh, a lot of non-fishing. How was everybody's fourth? Fourth was great. Fifth, not so much. <laughs> you guys that. <laughs> a lot of good food. Yeah, I I drank a metric ton of beer. And I've, then, uh, I've been drinking past hangovers. Maybe I'm getting older. I I don't know, man. The fourth totally wrecked me. Totally. Fuzzy. I, I you guys did chickens. We did chickens on the spit. I started okay. drinking those. Well, what tip- were you drinking? The everything. No, the I was drinking smoothies or the slushies. Slushies. Yeah, yeah. we we slushied it up. I started drinking tipsy tomatoes at like ten in the morning. Man, it was just. Bad news bears all around. And then Ernie ended up showing up at like ten at night. We drank, we pounded beers till two in the morning. Oh, that's not good. Oh, I did get out to go catch a carp on uh, the fifth though. That was the only productive thing I did the entire day. <laughs> we did your typical hamburger hot dog deal. Dad's like, "Hey, I'm taking a bag of walleye out. But I want to do it different." So I get there and he has the charcoal set up. So he lays a tin foil out on it. Comes out with this big bowl of fish. 
and there's all kinds of like different herbs, just like fresh stuff. And what's all over them things? Butter. Exactly. <laughs> Perfect. <laughs> Boom. He's like, he's like, I marinated them. He goes, and uh, he goes, I got them out. He goes, and I just let them kind of soak today. He goes, and all the seasonings. And he goes, and then I melted butter and rolled them in it. Go ahead and coated them there. He goes, and once they soaked everything in, I just took some soft stuff and then rolled, packed them all in that. We laid them out on the tinfoil. Oh, my God. Unreal. That, that sounds superb. Oh, yeah. More more than one way to do them. I cooked up a few the other day and just di- didn't, not deep fry. You know mm-hmm. what I mean? Just that was just it, too. He's like, hey, we fry these every time. Let's try <clears throat> something different. I'm like, yeah, let's yeah. do it. No, I'd perfect. Plain Jane, seasoning, butter, you know, a little bit of oil really hot mm-hmm. and flip it, you know, once till it's golden and once more before it's trying to burn and, and it gets a little sticky. That's That's good stuff. Mm-hmm. We did some strip steaks. Over the campfire. Oh, that's where it's at, bro. So, that was good. Wasn't bad. My brother and brother-in-law and I, we stayed up pretty late partying on Friday night, but we uh, woke up early still, and I was ready to leave and go fishing, and he didn't want to wake up, and my, I just was about to sneak out, and I told my wife I was going to take the dog with me, and I was like, oh, well, I'm just going to sneak out. Nobody's ever going to know. I want to take the dog either. I'll peaceful walk by myself. I don't even get to the end of the camp road, and my wife texts me three times, <laughs> pissed off. I'm going to kill you. Adam wants to go. No, no it was, you better take this dog with you. <laughs> and uh, so I, I, I doubled back because I didn't want to hear texts all day and then bitching later. So I just, you, you should know. have said you're out of service. <laughs> <laughs> oh, she knew I was getting them. We get good service up there for some damn reason. But, uh. So I turned back, and then Adam was awake by then, and it was only, you know, just under the end of it. It says 10 minutes, maybe, you know, I was turning around slow and thinking about it. And uh, <laughs> I get I back, or? grab the dog, grab Adam. We ended up walking a little creek. It was fun. So how do you do? How do you like it? He, he loved it. a he relatively did. rookie fly fisherman, right? Yeah, I stayed. Well, you took him to do that when you guys were out there, right? You, you took, Did you take him on some smaller water? No. No, he didn't fish no. Yellowstone at all? No. Oh, he didn't? Uh, but... We went down and took the dog with me for the first time fishing, too. So, just walked a little little tiny creek up there. and <clears throat> there's It's nice. There's the late harvest section and everything up and up on it. It's pretty... So how was the water? Was it boiling like everywhere else, or did you find a nice cool spring? No, it was pretty cool. Good. All Freaking the way down. boiling. I called, I called the local, and they said surface water temp on the lake, 86. Yeah. I, I was like, stupid. what? I thought the river was simmering this morning on my way to work. <laughs> Could have been fish fish boiling in there, but yeah, making no, fish hot. soup. I got to go fishing at the other evening when we got that little bit of rain. I figured I'd run down to the the hot spot for the golden hour, and nobody was there. But there was a guy approaching fast, so I had to park and I backed up and I didn't even notice it. But I pulled in. There was a tree that kind of fell, and somebody must cut it up. I didn't even see it there. I was worried about getting in this parking spot and being down there. And almost ran this whole pile of, like, chopped up wood over. So before I left, I loaded it in the truck like a nice guy. That was guy probably Trav's wood that you loaded up. No, no, <laughs> no, not right there. A different spot where you got to back in, and it's, like, really dangerous. You're, like, stopping traffic and shit. But this guy, he comes walking down. He's like, oh, you allowed to park right there? I was like, I am. Um, so I am you're a dick about it. <laughs> nah, it's totally. I mean, we got enough people fishing here. No, I didn't tell him that, but... uh. Went down there and he isn't fishing yet, so I throw it in the hot run. I got a, I tied a mouse up. It's, it's a friend of ours. He tied it. It's sweet. So it wasn't I, that goofy ass mouse that you tied. No, no, I suck. <laughs> but uh, 
this one don't suck. So I throw it, and I, I wanted to kill it because I fished it, you know, a couple weeks back, and I was like, damn, I, I didn't get around to it. So I throw it in there. I ain't going to blame it on that, but fish blew up on it, like, right now, third cast, and, and I was like, oh, I just missed the monster. I'm stuttering my over there, and I look at that guy. He don't know. He ain't a, I don't think he knows the deal yet because he was like, I fished here 20 years. I hear this from everybody all the time that uh, at all these spots. Oh, I fished here so long. I'm like, I've never seen you. I've never seen you. Mm-hmm. And then they're like, well, and you're always there. Yeah, and then they always like get around to, oh, I was here, there, and everywhere. So you fished here before 20 years ago. Sweet. All right, you catching anything big? He mentioned some fish and what was down there. So he knows, and I'm like, all right, yeah. Yeah, I was like, I just missed the best fish in here. I'm ready to go home. I'm burnt. But I, <laughs> I switched flies, threw on a little deceiver that Mark gave me, and whacked Wait, one. you'll cut his flies <laughs> up. That's bullshit. No, I had to retie <laughs> it. I, put it like this. Put it like this. They've been battered so much, I have, I've had to add shit back on them because they're gone. <laughs> Marks are okay. Oh, you don't cut his blood. Well, well listen, Chad. Chad's all are on Aberdeen fucking hooks from from God knows when. No. Hey, I used to be po folk, man. I, I hear you, man. I tie on gammies, bait holders, I, whatever. I, I don't know why I said used to be. Ah, uh, no, I, I'm still Jeez. a concoctionist. But no, is is a deceiver you tie me? But shit, they've been battered because you gave me like a ten of them last year and. I use the shit out of them. I might have one <laughs> or I might have one or two new ones, but believe me, these things are unraveled to the point where I've added like bucktail tops again and and threaded them real tight and actually drew some eyes on it like with marker and, and put hard as nails or whatever the hell because yeah. they're gonna just get beat to shit anyway. When I go fishing, I'm gonna, you know, it, I'll check them hooks. I like to run the sharper hook, but I'm trying to use that fly as much as I could. To, Beating it off a bridge, hitting every rock in the river. No need to go putting a brand new one on there every time, you know. Mm-hmm. As long as you're still sticking them and them hooks are right. But them stinger hooks, they grab. Just like you kind of hide the point on it. You're not, you know what I mean? You're not beating that off so much, so beating it off. Huh? I like yeah. that little upturn on them, too. When you pin them with them, boy, they don't come off. No, I, that, that's the, that fly alone, that hook set up, that accounted for tons of fish that I caught and anywhere you know even smallmouth so i think i even tied some poppers with it so i gotta say probably stripers one of the hardest fish on flies there is oh dude that like i said i'm adding still adding bucktail like little little wings on top a little bit of you know what i mean a couple pieces of peacock to prolong it for another you couple pounds of thread on that fly by the end oh of well i cut the fret down i just redo it <laughs> well, you, so you do cut his flies down yeah a little bit, a little bit. <laughs> if they need help man i you, i would rather spend five minutes fixing a fly than then go ahead and sit back down and you know remake it yeah exactly unless it needs it so there's been flies that i've bent the hook and then just have to totally remake a brand new one that sucks man bend a brand new hook or something because mm-hmm. you're fishing in the hood and you're catching like fences and barbed wires and <laughs> yeah. casting into the road <laughs> so all these tails and jason but listen i caught one fish on. on that deceiver and then had another blow up that i just totally blew so they were there and chad said they weren't the fish are there always you just gotta know when to go so these timing sto- is everything right now these stories and all of jace's bullshit are brought to you by Predator Fly Gear. Check them oh. out at PredatorFlyGear.com. <laughs> Speaking of uh, stinger hooks, Arex. Check out ARXHooks.com. Sims Fishing. Get all your outdoor gear at SimsFishing.com. Why not?
Why not? I'll say, why not fishing? There you go. Them guys are pretty cool. Check them out, whynotfishing.com, and their app, The Dock, that connects fishermen who may be traveling or just want to share their stories and possibly put you on some fish. Check that out. And tonight's show is being recorded to us live from the new and improved Urban Fly Company Studios. The studio's not new and improved, but the website is, so go check it out at urbanflycompany.com. Yeti, built for the wild. Queen City Gutting. If you need guided trips, flies, check out queencityguiding.com. Got a lot of materials on there, too. Mm-hmm. Tying, just whatever you're... Check it out. There's a lot of tying stuff up. Oh, yeah. Everything you need to tie. Mm-hmm. Most of the patterns he's selling, but, you know, it, who don't who don't want to make their own? Actually, sometimes when I see somebody's flies, it, it makes me want to make my own, you know? Mm-hmm. Even though I probably suck at that, too. But, yeah, check him out at... Queen City Guiding. He got the flies, he got the materials to do it, and, and some guided trips if you'd like. Yeah, he just got a new vessel. Yeah. No, that's a pretty cool thing. It's like uh caught a musky. It's like a barbecue on pontoons. <laughs> <laughs> so it's always a good time. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Party up top. <laughs> so I I had I had a little story. I couldn't have had two of the most polar opposite experiences at the same place on what, Sunday, July 3rd, or 5th, and Monday, July 6th. So Sunday, I went, I peeled myself off the, the drunken couch for an hour. I was like, oh. Did you try to recreate this thing sober? I, I tried to, but... Uh, that can't work. No, but I, I went to a local spot where I like to go and catch carp. I walked in, I saw one other guy there with a fly rod. I was like, dude's carp fishing. And then there were like six guys throwing... Toward the big feature there for whatever's hitting on bobbers. And Top water, huh? Catfish time. <laughs> yeah, catfish time. Stripers? Catfish. Yeah. They're peeling catfish. Oh, really? Yeah. So I made God, one. There's so many in there. I made one cast, hooked a carp, and the dude that was fly fishing came over. He saw I didn't have my net. He saw I was in bad shape. I was sweating PBRs. And he was like, hey, you, you need a net? I was like, yeah, that'd be great. And he was talking to me. We were fighting. I was fighting the fish. The nicest dude. His name's Chris. Um, and then he ended up catching a carp a little bit later. A mirror carp. It was nice. It was probably like eight pounds. I I went over. I took his net out of his back. Netted it for him. And then I felt the rumbly in my belly. I said, "Oh, I got to go home now." <laughs> so I, I jetted. Like I said, I was gone maybe an hour. And I, that was like the best experience I had at that place in a long time. So. Monday, I went to work. I called my wife. I said, hey, I'm taking Nolan. We're going to go fishing at the same place. And I get there. They're like 18 guys throwing at the big feature. And they're like all together. And there are two guys over at the far side. They weren't guys. They were kids. And every time they needed bait, they had to walk all the way over to get their bait and walk all the way back. And that time frame was just enough time for the carp to come back up in and get reacclimated, and then they'd walk through again. It's like, oh, god damn it! But they were kids, you know. It was okay. And then I heard Dad say, "All right, you guys ready to get going?" I was like, oh, golden time. I said, no, it's gonna get good now. So those kids all peeled out, and two guys throwing rapalas come, and there's kind of a channel in the middle there, and I was standing on the channel, just looking, and they were active actively feeding carp tailing and I was thrown way above them and the, the current's ripping right there I had one like chase my fly three times 
And these assholes walk right in front of me. And then just stand there. They camp out there and start throwing Rapalas at the big feature. I'm like, what in the hell's going on? Gotta fish at night. And then <laughs> they like kind of move out a little bit, and me and Nolan are standing there. And the carp come back, and the asshole turns around and walks right through them again. I said, Nolan, let's leave. He's like, why, Dad? I'm saying, because that guy just walked right through where we're fishing, and he just blew it up and didn't care. I said, Nolan, that is rude. If you ever go come here and walk in front of where someone's fishing, that's rude. Like, I was yelling it. The guy was from me to you away, Jay. He never turned around. He, he heard me. I was fuming. But, like I said, that's just two polar opposites at the same place two days in a row. Yeah, yeah. No, that's that's fishing everywhere. Could be any time, you know what I mean? You don't know who, who's going to be there or what you're up against. That, that's one thing. You're not just trying to catch a fish, trying to catch a good time, right? That's right. I, I had my son with me. He's six. Uh, if he wasn't there, I would have freaked out on this dude. <laughs> <laughs> you know, let's, like have a little bit of common courtesy and like be aware of your surroundings. Sure. Even There's a lot of room. We right know there you, Chad. Yeah, <laughs> and I mean, even if you're even if you're in the raft or in the boat, you know, when you go past somebody in the river and it, you don't, you reel don't it even up. just they reel it you up for a second, let them have their space. It, and the bad part is, is it's just like the whole trout fi- or the whole yeah, tro- first day trout stock people. The mentality, it's just one that'll never break. There's just no understanding. There's no common sense. It's that steelheading. <laughs> I just, I I just think just, that this uh, time of year hard, brings out all explain. fishermen. It's hard this to explain. This time of year brings know. out the best fishermen. But, but it is. I mean, it's it's hard to explain, but you know exactly what like what what I'm saying. Yeah. It is just a different mentality, and it's it's something that moving forward, conservation wise, it needs to be fixed. And don't get me wrong, I was catching or trying to catch greasy ass carp. You know, I I was at the bottom of the totem pole there. They were throwing Rapalas for whatever is at the big feature, and not catching anything. By the way, yeah, and that's no, also that, the, that's also that, the same that made my people heart though. Feel good. That a majority <laughs> of the time are fishing for walleye and other kinds of things. Yeah, and then they go out right now and that's pumping eighty plus degrees, smack a muskie and fight it for thirty minutes, get it to the bank, hold it up for pictures because there's just no no there's no knowledge there. Instead of you hook one and you accidentally get it, get it to you, pop it off, let it go. Speaking of that, did you see Pete Mania's new video that he just put out uh, yesterday or the day before? Uh, so something with the one that we're in Virginia? I no, it's about fishing in the heat. Uh-huh. Yes, how, yes, we all did, Chad. Okay. <laughs> who, don't, who don't watch Pete Mania? I do. All right. I watch everything that dude puts out. Yeah. I love him in his pink hat. He's like he's like, <laughs> the, he's like Ted Nugent of fishing, right? How was I didn't see it, though. Oh, he said you should be shutting it down. There's studies that show that it's hard on those muskies, you know? Fish don't always float when they die. Exactly. He said w- one out of ten float when they die. Mm-hmm. So if you see a floater, there's probably ten dead ones mm-hmm. under the surface. Oh, it's it's definitely hot. I don't know if what's our, our water per se. Upper 70s maybe at midday, real close to 80, oh, you think? The river? Yeah. Because yeah, they the said river. 72. The river, yeah. They said 72. That's I was going to say, early lake, morning. no, lake's still way above that. But I mean, river, yeah. Yeah, early morning temps, so. But we got 18 rain droplets yesterday. Yeah. <laughs> it was all around. It was like wet. No, I it was just, work. Th- it just never... thunder. We it, got thunder. It rained here, like, big raindrops for about 35 seconds. You know? That helped. 
<laughs> no, it didn't. It's going to make my grass grow like just enough that it looks like a white trash because I'm not going to mow it. <laughs> oh, man. I finally got my tire fixed on my mower and chopped all mine down, and I did my neighbor's lawn because he did mine when my mower was down. So What a dude. Yeah, he was a good you guy. You guys got to get a neighbor like, like mine. And my neighbor, he lives a few houses up, but he knows me since I wore diapers. He cuts mine. I've cut my neighbor's grass since I was eight years old. <laughs> I don't want to hear. It. <laughs> Man, mandatory. Mandatory. Yeah. <laughs> so we do have a guest coming on tonight, guys. Uh, Mr. Chad Wild. If you uh, are on Instagram, it's Chad Rock. Uh, he's he's been a buddy of ours for quite a while. Jay, you and I fished with him four, five years ago, five, four years four, ago, yeah, something, something like that. that. It, he's just a cool dude. Full of stories. He's full hot tonight, man. He but wants it was to come second, on. Second beast of the east. Second beast of the east, our first. Yeah. So we but gotta get him down here sometime. Absolutely. Oh, he's a he's a ball of fun to fish he, with. He fell in love with the Allegheny River when mm-hmm. he fished it. He absolutely fell in love. We were talking the other day about uh, doing some winter fishing. So, I mean, it's so good down here, muskie wise. And he's like, that'd be a fun, perfect time of the year to come do it. He wants us to come up and go ice fishing for pike. That would be a hoot. Mm-hmm. <laughs> For sure. Especially hanging out with him and his boys. Who don't like ice fishing? In a hut? Yeah, I, can no, think they, of, I think of ice fishing and I didn't, I didn't remember it was 90. I think it's like a 33-minute drive to Massachusetts now. as well. They set up, they set up tip-ups. and uh, We'll let him get in all this shit. But they set up tip-ups, and then they have a four-wheel, and they shoot around the lake when they see flags going, and then they sit on the, the bank with a fire and drink beers and stuff. That's pretty mandatory when you get to New England. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so that if, and moose. If snowmobiles are snow machines, what's a four-wheeler? Is that a dirt Ground machine? Ground machine. <laughs> machine. General. The, the wheel machine? Yeah. Yeah, nah. Snow machine. Yeah, you know that. You know that, Chad. No, that, uh, that should be some good stories coming from Chad there. Yeah, man. Hey, do we have anything else we want to hit on in this first segment before we uh, bring Chad in? No. Alrighty, man. Well, we will be back. It's the best shit you ever played. That is severe. <laughs> but down here in Connecticut, there's not much of an accent. Connecticut tends to be separate from both Rhode Island, Massachusetts, and New York, so all of which have, have distinct accents, and, and Connecticut don't, I don't think. Does a Worcester have one O or two O's? Worcester. Yeah, well, welcome to Worcester. Didn't you see to listen to Adam Sandler? So is that like the yes. Ohio Wooster? It's like the New Worcester. York Fox. Welcome to Worcester. Dollar twenty-five bucks. <laughs> he was Toll Booth Willie. He was a, a Massachusetts Turnpike. Love it, man. I remember, bro. Yeah, yeah. Hey, Chad, Sound fucking really normal. Great album. job. Hey, Chad. This uh, yeah. this whole last segment's been recording. So. No, you're killing me. <laughs> <laughs> we're we're coming to you live from Wooster. <laughs> they got me. I was I was most worried about Dr. J when it came to hijinks, but I guess it's my namesake. I should have been looking out for there. <laughs> yeah, he, he he runs the uh, the board, so and his phone's what? going off. But um, 
Yeah, so you're running the show now, huh? The last time I saw you guys with regards to the show was when I fished the beast with you, and I was too nervous to go on. You asked me to talk, and I was like, oh, I'm so nervous. And I think I was probably too drunk at the time, whereas we now all, I'm yeah. only so, mildly drunk. You were creeping in the like in the corner, in I the was. shadows. I was very <laughs> creepy. Well, well, I had okay. returned well, let's to the this... hotel room several times to... Uh, to I had to use the, the facilities quite badly, if I remember correctly. <laughs> we had a lot of banquet food and a lot of beer, and um, and a lot of sun, and and really good times with you folks. And um, I remember I had to go to the bathroom a few times, and and so I would creep back there. And also, I called my wife and kids too, because that was the first time that I had traveled after we had two kids. We had River in 11, and then we had Marin in 13 or 14. Oh, man, I'm such a bad daddy. 13, 13 because she's the same age as yeah. my son. 9, 15, 11, uh, 10, 26, 13. Got it. Yeah. Yep. All right. Sorry, I had to figure that out. Hold on, the first time I had traveled, uh, no, Marin was quite late. young. I believe that was 15. I was there with you, I think, or maybe 16. I don't know, mm. but it was a really fun time, and... and I admit it, I was intimidated by the podcast because it was really my first time meeting you, Chad, in person. And we had talked, you know, a number of times through social media. But it was it was odd for me to travel and meet somebody who I was like, dude, that dude's a brother. You know, he was Jay, too. I was like, these are the types of guys who I would absolutely hang out with. You know, it was really uplifting to meet you guys and have that kind of a fun experience. This because I needs love a that river. Yeah, yeah, I was going to say, and we're back. I moved a muskie, too. Or it might have been a giant trout. Do you remember when we were at that split in the river, there was a giant boulder? Yeah, I remember. I moved oh, yeah. back to the boat. You said, hey, there's something right there. There, there. I know, it's gone. right? It was, I'd never forget it. That was the, and I, I want to believe it was a muskie. You had mentioned it could have been a big trout, and it could have been. But I want to believe it was a muskie, because I've told myself, since then that that was the first muskie i ever seen and it was with you you know just seeing one and i like to say that i raised it you know i i didn't i didn't know how to fish those fish when i was down there with you guys neither did we no i uh, (laughs) don't know i've learned a lot more thanks to pogo up here and like trying to get at pike up here in connecticut we don't have muskie but we have pike and and i love predator fishing more than any other type so steve really really put me on and 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 was able to uh, to teach me a lot of things that made me a much better predator fisherman. He's really a good egg. He's a really solid dude. I just talked to him on the phone today. He he was one of my options for tomorrow. I said I called him up and I was like, "Listen, I got the day on Friday. I was thinking about jetting down your way." He lives almost as far from me in Connecticut as you can go and stay in Connecticut. So I live in the absolute northeast corner, and he's like up in the absolute northwest corner. And it's a good haul of about an hour and a half. I can almost be at the Cape, you know what I'm saying, by the time it takes me to get out to Pogo. But it's worth it because the northwest corner is absolutely gorgeous. And he's a phenomenal guide and he's a phenomenal teacher, you know, and a good dude. Like, he's just fun to hang out with. But you go on his boat and you're going to learn something. And that was always my intent with going out with both him and guys like yourself. You know, y'all were dialed in at least a hell of a lot more than I was to the Predator game when I was down there. And I was like, honestly viewed it as look you got to make your 10,000 casts you know and and I I truly felt that that was how you get at this fishing and I think it is even if you're a pretty poor fisherman if you made 10,000 casts on musky water 
you'd probably catch a muskie, I believe. So, so there's that. No, and no, make, was a poor make half so the cast like, and grind harder. K, you know? <laughs> just, just throw half the cast, dude, but grind extra harder. That's it. Yeah, that, that's yeah, the you're thing. right. It, you're it's right. A, it's a condensed thing where your fishing is totally got to be concentrated on. For succeeding. sure, dude. That's really well said. That that's the truth right there. So if you do go out Pogo tomorrow, are we gonna get to see a, a video of you and your skivvies going down for a fly? <laughs> no, <laughs> because first. his water is way too hot for pike right now. Okay. He was at seventy-eight degrees. I checked my pike lake because we've had all that rain, and I was seventy-four. And um, and that's in the northeastern corner, and we've had inches of rain. The trout water has been the past week and a half. We've done some really fun trout fishing, and I. I almost felt bad opening it back up, but truthfully, I was looking for stockies um, because we wanted to have a, a trout dinner. And if you deep fry a stockie, it's fine. Man, that's good. And, and you can't eat it all the time. It ain't healthy for you or nothing. But, man, that's delicious to deep fry something that you caught. What's the matter? And actually, I took, that I dog food doesn't up. settle well for you. What's that? <laughs> What's the matter? That dog food doesn't settle well in you. <laughs> yeah, right. Well, then, so this spring... And through the COVID, through the, through the isolation we've had here, I feel personally, and I think my family would agree, that we've placed a different onus on food. We've enjoyed food differently. We, we've, we've eaten more dinners together than we ever did, and we've loved that. So it's been fun through the spring that I decided I, w- I was going to actually start taking fish home. And I, I considered, you know, what species. I, I, took some, I took a trout on my annual camping weekend or my annual camp out would have been its 25th annual this year, but it was, um, it was canceled because we couldn't go to the campgrounds we used. So we camped in my backyard and I made a deal with my local. I said, listen, I'm coming and I'm taking a fish, one fish. I've caught trout every, every year for 25 years on this weekend and I've eaten them and I have to do that. And my local is literally seconds from my house. And so I went there and I, I, I walked into the area I was going to fish. And I can very vividly remember saying out loud, you know, I'm sorry, I'm taking whatever I get first. And if I, I agreed with myself, if I'm going to get one of the special ones, you know, a nice 10, 12, 14 inch nice wild fish, I'm going to take it. And to be honest, I had never eaten a wild fish that I know of, a wild trout, in my life. So I went and I was going to take the kids, but honestly, I wanted it to be a hit and run. And I wanted to fly fish. And it's challenging to do so when you're, you've got your kids and you're gear fishing. I mean, it's challenging to fish, period, when you've got your kids. Your attention should be on them and their experience. And that's what I've always done. So I went with the fly. I went with the Euro rod. I Euroed all spring. And sure enough, the first fish I caught was a really nice wild fish. And I said, I was sorry. And I cut his throat and I took it home and it was delicious. You know? Can you tell and the that difference? Was just one thing that I had, had agreed to do in my head before I did it. it, there was, there was no other option. I wanted a 12 inch stocky because I would deep fry him and he'd be fine. You know, it's, it's deficient, <laughs> really. but, um, I got a nice one and we ate it. And what that made me think was, I was like, think of all the other fish, you know? And I immediately went to my walleye lake. Like the next week I was out fishing walleyes with, with, with shiners and bait. I have a lake that is local to me and it generally produces a couple fish that we would call keepers here in Connecticut. So I believe a fish has to be 18 inches long to keep. Now, I'm not saying I've ever done it because I haven't, but I certainly know people who catch a 16 and they stomp it out to 18 because walleye <laughs> are so delicious. And I have definitely kept 21 and 22 inch fish 
They make a wonderful fillet, as I'm sure you dudes know. Oh yeah. And <laughs> and you know, it's a special fish to eat. Basically, it's it's my second favorite fish in the world to eat. My first being yellow perch. I really yellow perch has a sweetness that's different than than any other fish I've eaten. And I've heard bluegill may have a similar. And I, I did catch some bluegill this spring, but I massacred the fillets. I, I didn't have the skill yet to do so small. But I, I went to the walleye lake and I caught a few bass, which was fun, like on gear, fishing spinners. And um, and then I, I got two really big perch. One was 14 and the other was 12. And those are good perch and perfect fillet sizes. So that taking those home and eating them. I brought them home and it's like, you know, midnight and it was a really interesting drive home because you have to take the highway to get to my walleye lake. It's maybe 20 minutes drive. And, um, you know, at that point in the COVID, there was no one out but trucks, no one. And, and the highway was a bizarre thing. I hadn't been doing much driving because we'd been deeply isolated and I live in a very rural area. So most of my activity, having left the house very rarely, you know, was right here in Wellington where I live. And being on the highway with just nothing but trucks, it was, it was a strange feeling. And the trucks for me during the COVID were, were very, and, and still are, a very, very important, um, I guess, visual, you could say. Because if I see the trucks moving and I see, see, see goods and services passing, I feel confident that commerce is still occurring and life is going on in some fashion in a different way, but still successfully moving forward. You know, we haven't all died. And, and that's 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 good enough for right now you know we're figuring this shit out there ain't no blueprint and you gotta do what you gotta do to to get through it and i was so impressed by the truckers you know what i mean these dudes had no break you know a lot of people were out of work and as much as that sucks you know it, it there's a boon there where you have time to do things and we had time at home to do those things you know work on the yard and, and make paintings and 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 play baseball and 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 do the things together that we would normally do but just in a smaller group of our of our you know nuclear family and seeing them trucks out there let me know that stuff was still going down you know what i mean outside of my little world and that was a special deal so i drove home late at night with the with the perch and there were peep frogs out at that point in time probably i would guess maybe early april this was and it's still cool in new england at that time and, and it was very cool and misty and I set up my fillet table behind my, my, my fishing room here at home and I turned the, turned the light on and I have a cutting board that my uncle had given me. My uncle Jim is one of my best buddies and, and he's a really good shit. And, um, and he gave me this cutting board that we've used for years as a family at our camp out. And there's a million knife scars on it from all of the fish that have been cut. And so as I would, would clean trout during the COVID, I, I appreciated things like that too. You know, I'm, I'm using something that's special here. I'm doing something that is, is different. And, and um, I cleaned the perch. And as I did so, I was, I was very meticulous. I was deliberate. I wanted every single piece of the meat. And I got the cheeks off the 14. And I took a back strap off each of them after I had gotten done my fillet work. And I took the skins and I can't eat a perch skin, but I nailed them to a tree because they're so beautiful and and they were so cool to see the pattern. And, and I was I was I was secretly proud that I had brought this food home. You know, food was different all of a sudden for mm -hmm. us. And and in the morning I made. I breaded them with panko and I fried them in bacon fat. 
And I made for me and my son and my wife and daughter, I made scrambled eggs, full perch, bacon, and toast, and home fries, actually. My wife had made the home fries, but I heated them up. And um, it was such a wonderful breakfast. A friend of mine makes syrup here in, in Connecticut, and mm-hmm. he his syrup is just spectacular. And, you know, you can put that shit on bacon, and it is phenomenal. And... You know, eating that food together and being like, we caught, I caught this perch, and it's really tasty, and it's really special. And my son, when he eats, he does this really cute thing where if he likes it, he goes, mm. Just a, a really <laughs> short kind of grunt, mm. you know, like, that is good. And he made a shitload of those grunts during the, the meal, and I, I felt good about eating that breakfast together. Being real tired, because I got home mad late, and eating a good good like that's a breakfast that nobody would turn down man and it was fucking great and we really enjoyed it together and it speaks to the food thing you know like we've enjoyed being together and there's definitely a double edge there because this thing is hard on so many folks and this thing hurts so many people and it kills so many people and here we are out in our little area in our little lives and we're happy and there's 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 a dichotomy there that is difficult to swallow because in a way, the isolation has been the best time of my life. And in a lot of other ways, it's been horrific. And things have happened here in Willington that have just been been outlandish. There, there, was, there was stuff that went on over the past four months that you just can't make that stuff up. And through it all, you know, through the good and the bad, there's just been fishing for me. Like that's, Damn right. Me that's, too. That's what it's what what has gotten me through it i i I had been unable to fish for about a year when i saw you guys actually i probably mentioned my hips at the time didn't i yeah you did and i was probably living off the leaves and when i was down there i i remember i sure was of course i I remember seeing the bottles yeah i can actually remember running through the airport when (laughs) when you had uh you you remember you dropped me off at the airport and it was like man i gotta go it's bad and I went into the airport, I got to the bar, and I had a drink, and I was like, all right, let's get ourselves organized to go back home. And my head said, you left your keys in fucking Steelhound side door. And I was like, oh, my God. And I did. Do you remember that? Yeah. I, was, I started, I was running like Forrest Gump. Let me tell you. I, and my hips are killing me. I'm so sore. And I got on the cell phone and called you. I said, oh, my God, the keys. <laughs> and you were like, yeah, they're here. And I was like, all right, I'll call you if I need you. And I called my ace wife, who's the greatest woman in the world. And I was like, honey, I left my keys in Chad's truck, and I'm in the airport in Cleveland. Can you drive to the airport in Connecticut and leave my spare key? And she did that shit for me, you know? And that was um, how I got home. And then you mailed me the keys. I, I did mail you the keys? <laughs> you sure did. Okay. Uh, no, 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 no. Before we go any further, how long you know did what? it take you to mail them keys? Let me tell you. I blame Dr. J. I I blame the doctor. I can see all of that, but I am curious, though, with Chad and how he mails stuff. How long did it take you to mail his keys back? Um, I'm guessing three weeks because I still have flies for Frank Zubel and I still have (laughs) all of it. You got all stickers for Russ Mad. Russ Mad, he was only a year ago. I know. (laughs) 
I have one left. It's going to rust. So, <laughs> that's funny. Isn't it funny how you build up? Like, I'll be honest. I went to the post office for the first time during the pandemic. Maybe I'd bet a month ago and I had, I had 14 packages and <laughs> it was time to get them all out. You build that stuff up as people send you things. And, you know, it feels, isn't it liberating when you actually mail it? You're like, yes, I have three here now. And I, I probably end up with more in over the next couple of weeks, and and I got to get back down there to the post office to see my girls. So You'll make <laughs> sure you get them flies. The post huh? office, who I've become pretty good friends with, and they're they're cool people, and I appreciate them too for what they all did during this whole pandemic. You know, post office never slowed down. You got your Amazon, you got your stuff in the mail. I got my Urban Fly Company stuff, so <laughs> it was pretty cool that they were 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 so vigilant and and maintaining you know, their day-to-day operations, because that was what it was about. You know, a lot of people didn't have to do what they had to do. A lot of other people had to do more than what they had to do. And that, that's true heroism right there. The, the postal workers, the, the, the cleaning people who do, do the office buildings and the stores, the, obviously the medical folk, obviously any first responders and anybody in that kind of, kind of a, a helping situation. And I hope that this whole thing makes us all view each other differently. You know what I'm saying? Like, Chad, it does. It does. It's true. It does not. Truck drivers are not heroes. Believe me. (laughs) Well, I I viewed them as such because I looked at their progress down the road as a sign of hope. As a fly fisherman and and a big truck mechanic, I view truck drivers like I like I view pinners. (laughs) <laughs> you have a different view. And that's understandable, dude. I totally get it. Yeah. I could use a guy like you in this neck of the woods to fix my vehicles. Let oh, me tell dude. you. <laughs> Pay in beer. Yeah, we'll just fly. call him over. Call oh, him over what, and give him some freaking j- beers. What, just so my shorts don't fit for another summer? <laughs> no, that doesn't funny. surprise me. Are you, have you put on a little COVID weight here? Oh, I put on the COVID, like, 35. Yeah. COVID. It wasn't because of the COVID. COVID just man, he's fat. He drinks too much. <laughs> well, the liquor because of the COVID. I mean, you can chase the chain if you want. <laughs> if, you, yeah. if, if you drink beer, don't work out, and eat a lot of food, that's what's going to happen. Hey, beer, I love eating yeah. food. Did I you love say living beers. good? Hey, you look good to You look good to me, buddy. To go. That hey, beer belly is one of you guys. A question. Uh, that can beer belly is like a chia pet. What what stories do you like? Wait. I want to hear about Mark's daughter hooking a muskie. You may have talked about this on the show recently. I'm behind. And I listen to you guys' show when I'm working, and I've had a little bit of time off from work over the past month, so I'm a little behind. Um, and, and I was just curious if you could tell me about your daughter's first muskie hook. Oh, that was a, uh intense little moment. but I bet. The nice part is, is we have a lake up north that's still holding kind of cold temperatures. So real yep. early at first light, they're up in the weeds in like four foot. And that's awesome. you'll see them blowing up. Yep, that's and we awesome. Were, we were just kind of trolling up through this area, and all of a sudden a fish blew up. And I just yelled at her, throw over it. As soon as that thing yep. hit the yep. water, yep. fish crushes it right there. Oh, no shit. she got to be. What was she throwing? A little spinnerbait. Just like a, a normal, yep. just double uh, willow. Like a Terminator. Because, yeah. You know that's what? It. Just real. And, and, and just I, real I'm baby. figuring. doing the work. And that's it. I'm like, there's a lot of little yep. fish in here. She can crank that thing through. They'll come yeah. up out of them weeds and whack it. Same Let's, with the scrows, man. It, it's real. You know, you can get it done. It's awesome. Is it? Yep. So go on. She's pulling this fish in, and I start. I I just get a glimpse. I'm like, oh, this is a good one. Oh, and yeah. I'm like trying to shuffle past my wife. I get past her. I get the net. Get it. It's already ready to go. 
and I'm right at the water, and at that point, the fish is maybe like 18 inches deep, and as yep. soon as it starts to surface, it makes that surge, and the hook pulls yep. right up out of yep. it. I'll tell you, I said one I thing that amazes me about predator it. fishing. If there's one thing that amazes me is, and I watch all the videos on YouTube and I see them gear guys fucking chucking that bait right into that mouth, punching that fish in the mouth. How hard is that mouth that those baits oh. can come out of the mouth? It's incredible. You know, there's, there's a million stories that are wonderful about lost giants, you know? And it's amazing how many times one of those fish escapes, and that is is what will keep you going back. I think. You I think know? I think bite pressure got a lot to do with that. If they bite yeah. something really hard, I mean, you don't just move hold it. that thing right. You don't in the pull mouth it out. You don't penetrate. They're just holding it until you know? they yeah until they they then finally after even you know ten twenty feet they open their mouth and boom there it comes back out. Yep. Mm-hmm. There you go. There you go. You know, and that's what's interesting there too, is all of the different possible hook placements and types of hooks for flies you know Mm -hmm. i i don't know what's right because i honestly haven't done enough of it but i can see the merits in a number of them like i like a single these days and i like it it you know middle mid body that's where i feel most comfortable like i don't want it at the head because even if i'm running 60 or 80 or whatever i don't want it at the head you know i've i've lost many pike fly fishing here in connecticut matter of fact i've never caught one out of my local and i've lost a good six or seven fish that were more than 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 punes you know and and it's heartbreaking but same thing you know they could have that thing in their mouth you can punch it as many times as you want when they open it up and all of a sudden whoops there you go you're gone and that's it and you see the tail swim and you're you're just left there holding the line you know it's it's torture but it's amazing that they can escape and you know what when you get one Dude, that just makes that shit so much more special. It, it is a special thing to catch a predator. Anyone. I'm envious of you guys. When I, Mark, They're I was texting you the other day, and, and I don't know how many you said, but you said you had ha- however many musky lakes. And, like, my jaw hits the, hits the chin. And I'm like, you, you know, that's just not fair. No, <laughs> that's it, the embarrassment of riches. It, too, yeah, right? and we do. We take it for granted around here. But let's, sure. let, let's be real. With four of us sitting around a table. Within a one-hour drive, you have probably 15 bodies of water without flows that but, you yep. can go f- without flows. But look, yeah. So you're talking probably 30 options at least within an hour and a half drive at most and, radius. And, and it's That's not, outrageous. It's not a lot of people doing it. That's the thing. Right. We, we got a lot of sure. people who fish, but we don't have – There, yeah, there's the guys who congregate on areas, but – it's not overpopulated. There's no, there, there's everybody. a lot of money spent though by the you know by PA and by uh, Muskie's Inc. Yeah. To, to put these fish in. Yeah, I mean the folks who put on the Beast of the East, Chad, I was so impressed. That was yeah. really well run, and and all the folk who were there were like minded, and it was a good it was a great thing when I was there. I really you enjoyed know, it. You know what, Chad? And, this last year was actually the year they raised enough money to do the stocking that they've been working on. So it, that's it, wonderful. Yep. That's such a they, good they thing. Did, I love it. it. Um, you know, it, it's. I think what, what when it comes to predator fishing, in one of my essays that I wrote a while ago, I remember writing something along the lines of, "The reason that you do this is because it's not. I could go fish. I could go catch thirty good bluegill. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Really good bluegill. And and the reason that you do this is because this is is hard. It, there's a challenge to it that is." 
vastly different than any other type of fishing I'd ever done before I had done it, you know, and I knew it early on in my high school yearbook. My thing like Chad wants to be was, was he wants to open a, a pike and smallmouth camp in Northern Maine. And the reason why I said that was because I used to read the fishing mags, you know, I'd read in fishermen, dude, the lenders were like, Oh, we all did bottom. that, bro. <laughs> oh, they're wonderful. They're, they're incredible, incredible anglers of multi-species and that appealed to me. But the biggest appeal to me were the predator fish. They were dinosaurs, you know, and, and in talking to Brad Bowen recently, he made a great comment about, about predator fishing where he said he loved the scene in Jurassic Park where the dinosaurs getting at them kids in the, in, in, in the, uh, the SUV and the kids are, and he's thinking, do I eat these things? You know, he's looking at it and, and he said, that's what predator fishing is in minutia. You are the fly. And he's absolutely right about that. As you swim it, you know, you are imparting, you're making it do what you think it should do to catch a fish. And you are that fly. And there's an optic to that. There's, there's what I call ocular violence. When you get a strike, it is, it's like a horror movie, you know, like you are, you have to admit it in your heart of hearts. If you're watching Jason, and he slashes somebody. That's what you're there to watch for, you know. The the and I don't O face love horror movies, but I I get scared of them nowadays. I used to love them, but I love predator fishing for that reason. Like I want that hit. Well, you I know, want dude, them to fucking kill my fly. I, 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 I want to punch so, him in the face. Yeah, so that that makes me. That's so, what I love about it. Listen, that makes me so anxious for you to to. You didn't see them stripers hit, did you? See? Well, there's an interesting thing. So I see them. In my oh yeah, sleep. no, I'll, I'll tell you, I seen. <laughs> so I, I'll tell you when I seen them. Hey Chad, so, Chad, let's start at the beginning of your trip. Cause all right, you want to start? Right, can we do that? My, I've been, I'm gonna hit, hit a preface here by saying, I've been very blessed to have uh, a little bit of time off of work to focus on myself, and part of focusing on myself was I wanted to, to really get into striper fishing. You gotta kind explain of yourself here. My calendar well, like I go ice fish, trout, bass. Shit gets too warm. Basket on beds. You got to find something else. And I was like, I'm gonna do stripers. You know, that's what I want. I want to do that. In a way, it, it had the predator aspect because I'd be fishing streamers for sure. And I nymph trout and I bait fish ice fish. So what? You know, fishing streamers is obviously an appeal. I like swimming a streamer. So I was like, I'm gonna get on stripers. And I started going down to visit my friend Scott, and and he he put me on with a bunch of folks that did fly fishing and and my other buddy another friend of mine dean was like i'm gonna hit you with a fucking spot and he sent me a pin and i took that pin and i ran with it because i looked for similar spots and i found them and i kind of got on it at the right time i was looking for schoolies you know and um and i i didn't i'm not a size queen like my friend aaron does this thing where he says tsa which is target species acquired and that's what i'm all about i want to see the fish Matter of fact, I don't care who catches it. If I'm out, I want to see that fish we're fishing for. You know what I'm saying? I'm just as happy for you to get a muskie as, as myself. I want to see the fish. So I had these couple spots. I went down there, and I caught, sort of stepped in shit because I just started killing it. You know, I, I had I had some early days in the, in these trips where I was catching 20 or 30, 30 stripers in between the eight the size of like 14 and say 22. You know, they were fine, fun fish on a fly rod. It was really enjoyable. And I, uh, we got a great deal as a family. One of the, we rented a house a couple of years ago with Amanda's mother and father and her brother. And, um, it was in, in Chatham, my favorite town on the Cape. 
and it's right on Long Pond, which is a beautiful freshwater pond. What people don't realize about Cape Cod is that it is scattered with freshwater ponds that are fantastic fisheries for large smallmouth and pickerel. The original native fish that was in all of those ponds that folk would fish for was a pickerel. And then as the area was settled, people stocked both large and smallmouth, and it has turned into an insane fishery. Um, there's, there's monster bass on Cape Cod because it has herring runs in all of these freshwater ponds and how they had been formed was that a glacier come through and carved out to Cape. And as it did, so it made these deep pockmarks and these would fill with spring water. They're, they're amazingly clear, these ponds. And, um, and then folk put bass in and the rest is history. You know, there's, when I asked my friend Scott, like, what's a good fish, you know, what are you looking for on a swim bait? Five pounds? And he says, no, you know, eight to 10. And it's true. One of the most fascinating state records, and it's debatable whether or not it's actually a legitimate fish, as many records have those, those scandals and, and hearsay attached to them. But the Massachusetts record largemouth is 15 pounds and eight ounces. And what? that is giant. That's it. And, and that's, if that's a northern strain largemouth, it's, it's an enormous, enormous freak. So you it never, truly is. Do you never... The, put your time in on those with the well line? here's the deal i did when i went down there this year i put in two days fishing two, two half days two sessions i call them you know four to six hours one me and scott just hit a bunch of ponds waiting like a few of his favorite spots and we weren't truthfully really fishing we were seeing the ponds and we would roll cast and scott was was working on some swing stuff where he was doing t-snaps and you know bombing at 80 foot and we were just sort of talking and, and hanging out. And then another day he put me on a special pond and I brought my canoe and, um, I use Mark's, uh, river single. That's my go-to fly on an intermediate line. And I was like, I'm gonna throw this. Cause he's telling me that, you know, three to five pounds is a normal bass here. And sure enough, it was. And <laughs> I had a great four hours. The most fascinating thing or the funnest part about those ponds were the pickerel. Um, a pickerel, for people who don't know, it's really common in New England. A chain pickerel is in the Esox family, and it's it's a smaller pike, essentially. You know, it, it behaves in the same fashion, but it's smaller, and it's more aggressive. Like, you can always catch pickerel if they're there. They'll eat, eat anything. And they would eat that Buford, you know, good 18-, 22-inch fish. And that's fun as hell, too, just watching them come out of a weed bed and nail a Buford. It's, it's sweet. So I fished in one of those ponds one day. And, um, and I had so much fun. Um, but it was, it was a very special thing. Like Scott told me, you know, this is not a normal thing to be able to get put on this pond. And, you know, you can't really talk about it because I don't, you know, I know where the bread's buttered. So you so, come on the internet and talk about it. Yeah. <laughs> but I, I spent one half a day and I absolutely loved it. It was, it was spectacular to do that as a break from striper fishing. Cause I had been catching, you know, for, for three or four days consistently. And, um, and, as actually right when my arm started bothering me too so i didn't have to cast as far and there was really no wind to worry about and um i like i enjoy fly fishing from a canoe i've always done that so it was really cool to see see one of those ponds in that way and they're intimate waters i would guesstimate that pond at i don't know i don't know how, i don't know acreage well but it's a small pond you know you could be around it in a trolling motor in probably an hour and 15 by hugging the shoreline so it, it's small and it's got down timber and weed beds and um, it's got a deep flat where the smallmouth are. 
So one of my goals on the trip that I went and visited Scott was I wanted three types of bass, stripers, largemouth, and smallmouth. And I had caught stripers and largemouth. And I don't have, have any electronics on my canoe. So Scott told me, he's like, you hit this flat and you're going to get a smallie. I was like, all right, I'll hit that flat. And um, I found a flat, but it turns out I was on, on the shallower of the two flats that are in this pond. And so I, I wasn't getting any and my time was running short. Um, it was on, on a suicide mission, four day trip like that. You've got to maximize your time and you've got to rest, you know, like it was very tempting. If a tide was at 3 a.m., I want to be out there, you know, I want to fish, fish the, the sweet hours, you know, I want to fish the best hours available. So I had to like consider these things. Scott's an avid planner and I never make a plan in my life. So I tortured him for four days where he was like, what do you want to do tomorrow? And I'm like, well, you know, I don't know. And, we'll and he was see. like, no, we need a plan. And I was gotta like, be okay, sticking to the well, plan. let me go fish, you know, at Chatham or let me go out to, to, uh, to, you know, this other place that we had and, or another one, you know, I was, I didn't know. I was like, I'm gonna go check it out because also with the stripers, I should have done this more. You should really be very mobile. If you go to a spot and you don't see activity, there's a pretty good chance you can find it elsewhere in a very short drive. You know what I mean? Like, what do you mean by seeing activity? Well, activity would mean birds or at three morning. in the morning. Or well, if you see if you when you're striper fishing in the ocean, and I'm certainly a novice, so it feels yeah. weird for me to be even talking about this with you guys. But I'm just going to tell you what I know. And, yeah, we're and novices too. So so there's these things called blitzes. You know, there's there's a bunch of bass or bluefish will trap bait fish in shallow and they'll just chop them up. You know what I mean? There's, there's oil in the, in the water, there's fish heads and, and birds will get on that and you'll see gulls congregate to the area and, and you'll see the surface activity. Cause what are they going to pin them up, up against the surface? And that's they're like going to hit them. That's like an omega three so, smoothie. Yeah, exactly. And when you see that, I mean, it's a given. You just put a put a, a four inch deceiver. I don't even think it matters. Some people think, and at times it does. Okay, fair enough. At times they'll get out a very specific bait, but at the time of year when I was there, what you really I think have are the migrating fish coming up from the Chesapeake area, and as they're traveling, I think they become very fucking hungry, you know, and and they just they they have access to to you know, sand eels and, and, and pogies and, and, you know, big, big, delicious bait. And who wouldn't, you know, it's their job in life to feed. So they just get excited. And, and when you see a blitz like that, and you see the birds working, it's a given, you know, you just have to be there. So if you see that you're on fish, are you, are you and, getting to watch them eat? Are they coming um, in close so enough get to, to eat? Or? What I found, and let me, I'm, gonna, okay. I'm now going to go back to the beginning. I'm going to tell you about the most recent trip. And I'm going to include everything I need to include. Okay. Because it's a, it's, a, it's a hell of a story. And that's what y'all podcast is really about. And that's why I love it is if you're an angler, who doesn't want to listen to a fish story? You know what I'm saying? That's that's what you love. it. I'll ask, I'll ask you to tell me the same story I heard 20 times. And we're just lucky, to hear it again. You we're know? lucky enough to hear it every week from a different day, right, you know? Right. You're, you're, you're very blessed. And you know what? Your, your listeners are blessed that way, too, because I enjoy it. I listened to Pogo's damn episodes more times than I care to admit. So there's that. And so I started out, we had had, we had rented this house a few years ago on the Cape and, and the owner called my wife and said, listen, 
I don't have anybody from a Tuesday to a Saturday. Now, normally rentals are Saturday to Saturday. So apparently someone had the house from Saturday to Monday, and he had Tuesday forward free. So obviously we were concerned about safety, and he assured us, you know, everything is going to be very clean. And um, we got a pretty good deal on it. So we said, yeah, we would love it for Tuesday to Saturday. I wasn't working at the time, and my wife um, was able to take time off. She works for UConn. And um, she was able to get the time off and the kids, they're in summer mode. So this was perfect. Now, the good thing about this house is you're about 10 minutes from beaches that are beautiful. And to be fair, uh, they were very sparsely populated in my time there in, in May and June. And um, and you had access also to, to Long Pond, which is beautiful, clean water for swimming. And my children swim every single day. That is one thing that we do every day here is we swim. And we swim in our trout streams. Um any old place pools are fine but i love swimming in, in in fresh clean water that flows ain't nothing like it so we swim every day and the kids love it and they're both avid and excellent swimmers i'm confident with them at six and eight to allow them to swim without flotation and devices they're that good so we would go to the beach you know and get all salty and sandy and the beach is unforgiving sun and no shade and then we go back home to the rental and we could go right into the pond which was spectacular you know, we went night swimming one night, and that's special. It's fun. And the pond, by the way, has, has giant bass, but I didn't get on them. It, it's it's a shame, and it's almost a sin that, that this is the case, but I did not get on those giant bass because um, we had one that would just cruise our beach, and it was a good six-pound fish, easy. And you'd see him just come through, and you'd be like, yep, there he is. Um, how <laughs> I didn't have a rod ready for that is is – an unanswerable question, so I won't even pretend that I just asked it of myself. Did you name him by so the I, end of the week? I was psyched. We had we had five days at the Cape in a beautiful location, and Amanda, you know, the greatest wife in the world, was like, "Why don't you go fish Monday?" And I was like, "Really?" And she's like, "Yeah." I was like, "All right." We wanted to have two cars at the Cape anyway because you know I'm going to go fish early, early in the morning every day that I'm there, and I'm going to get back for the majority of the day with the family. So. I was like, that's fantastic. And I started checking the tides. And I seen that on Monday morning, I wanted to be there about 4.30 in the morning. So I did make a plan. You know, Scott thinks I don't ever make a plan, but this was my plan. I knew when I was going to leave, and I knew when I was going to return. And I would figure the rest out when I was down on the cake. So I took off. I slept in the evening from like 7.30, 8 o'clock till midnight. And I slept on the couch downstairs so I wasn't tempted to cozy up to my wife and, you know, stay in bed. And I had all all the stuff packed that I would need and some of our stuff as well so she could travel light with the kids the next day. And I had my, my 98 Cherokee and I had hooked up a trailer with I had my canoe on it. It's got flat back and, and trollers, so it's really good in case I wanted to hit any of those ponds. So, yeah, I had no plan, but I had a, a canoe and a trawler if I needed to. And I took off about midnight. And um, the way I drive from northeastern Connecticut to the Cape is I go through Providence, Rhode Island, and then I pick up Route 195. And it's a very rural drive from my house, basically, to Providence. I go down Route uh, 34 and 101 and 6, and they're just like two-lane roads, you know, um, a lot like the roads that I saw out there when I was visiting you guys. You know, yours was just a little bigger. And I took off at midnight. And it's a wonderful drive at that time of night. You have the road all to yourself. And I had a, had a double thermos of iced coffee. I run on iced coffee. 
and I had great music and I had nothing but hope and promise for the next week. You know, it was such a happy moment. And I love driving my Cherokee. It's like, it's, it's a part of my life is to own a Cherokee. I've had four and, um, the, the so company vehicle, right? What's that? The company vehicle. It's the company car. This is yeah. company car four, you know, company car one was an 88 and then it had a 96 and then I had an old one. And then I backwarded it up and went back to a 98. So right now I own a 98 Cherokee Sport. Always the boxy sport model. None of that grand stuff. That's the, too fancy. The XJ. Yeah, uh, it is the XJ. You're exactly right. Some might call me the XJ kid in case you were curious. But that's a story for another time. So I'm driving and I'm on 195 and I'm going roughly 55 miles an hour. This is a used vehicle. When I told my mechanic I took it to the Cape, he was shocked and disgusted at me. When I told him I took it to the Cape four times, he wanted to punch me in the face. Um, I have like a shade tree mechanic, good buddy of mine, Tony, and he, he fixes my cars. He allows me to drive old cars because he knows that I need to keep them on the road. And he does a really great job. Similar to what you do, Chad, I'm sure, for other folk. You know, I can do that. You know, I can throw, yeah. throw new tires on. You know what I mean? So, um... I'm on 195 and it's 2:40 in the morning and I'm in Marion, Mass, which is just before you get to the Cape. So the adrenaline is growing. You know, I want to be there at four and I got about 45 more minutes, which puts me on spot and gives me time to get ready and drink a coffee and be, be in, in the mode for when it's time when the tide shifts and I get some current and that's what I wanted, you know, I'm ready to go. So I would have been there plenty early and everything was looking lovely. I had the rods rigged. You know what I mean? Because I, I was prepared. I had a plan. You had a plan. Down there and go. <laughs> so what my plan didn't include was at 2.40 in the morning, I saw at about, I'd guesstimate, 100 to 75 yards forward of me, an animal in between the lanes of the highway. And this highway has two lanes on each side, one going east and one going west. And there's two lanes on each side. And there's a median in the middle with you know brush and small trees and scrub grass and stuff like that and i saw an animal and i said that's a deer because i've seen eight billion deer in my life and i've hit them and um and and it was it was tawny and it was large i said oh, slow down because where there's one there's many and so I, I started slowing down and i hit about 35 miles an hour and at that point the animal was about 50 yards in front of me in the middle of the highway and it crossed the road. It came across my two lanes. And when it did so, there was something within my mind that registered that this was not a deer. And as I thought this through, which I have one billion times since it happened, I was like, what it was was the movement of the animal was liquid. And it, it just seemed to flow across the road. And the animal stopped in the breakdown lane and it looked over its right shoulder as I was coming towards it and I caught its eye shine. Now, there were, there were three amazing things about this. One was that the animal's tail was longer than its body, and I saw it clearly for four seconds. And four seconds is a long time, and I've calculated that because as I've been driving since then, I've said to myself, when did you see it? And I saw if you could draw a diagonal line from you in the, in the driver's side directly out the passenger side of the front windshield. Right. That was when I first really got a great look at it. So maybe like, you know, a 45 degree angle or what you, if you're laying out a clock, um, 12, one, two, two o'clock. Right. So I seen it at two o'clock and I'm going 35 miles an hour. And I seen it at, at 2.30, 2.45, three o'clock when it was directly parallel to me was about four seconds later. 
And this animal was a mountain lion, and I'm I'm utterly convinced that were there's you, no were, one. Were you who hanging can with the doctor? <laughs> its eye shine was fascinating, and the the Stopped most striking the thing about it, more so than the tail, was the size of its ears. Hmm. And I clearly remember the instant, instant visualization that I had was when I was a kid. I would watch nature shows, and I always loved the one about like the Serengeti. And there'd always be a scene where you'd see a pride of lions in dusk and you'd see the female lions raise up ahead and there'd be several of them. And you'd see these, these incredible animals, like, like the, the profile of the head and, and the, the, the big ears and the unmistakable feline shape of the animal that I saw for four seconds. And I was, I, it, I, I slammed on the brakes and I locked them up, which if Tony, my mechanic, is listening, I'm sorry. And it's, I know it's irresponsible. Bad. But the adrenaline in that moment was uncanny. I've seen, I've been outside my whole life and I've seen bobcat, I've seen bear, I've seen moose. I saw a moose swim across my walleye lake and we thought it was a duck with its, its wings raised in the air. We didn't know what the hell it was. And no, it was a male moose with horns. And it got out the lake and it, it walked off into the woods. Pretty rare thing, but I seen that. And that didn't give me anywhere near the emotional resonance that it did to see that cat. And I guarantee you, I'll swear in the Bible, I saw a mountain lion. I've heard all the stories. There's folk in my area who will swear they seen them. I know a guy who claims he's seen them on his dead pile of cows. He's a farmer. He runs dairy. And, and he puts the dead ones out in the woods and he says he goes down there and eats them. I, I, I've wanted to believe this. In 2011, in Connecticut, there was a mountain lion hit on the highway and killed. What was fascinating about that animal was that it was DNA traced to, I want to say, South Dakota. So they knew that it was from a, a group of lions that was in South Dakota. Now, I never believed personally that that animal walked from South Dakota. Is that the one they had trail cam picks all the way across? People have pictures. People have pictures. I think of what the an and many people claim too. And there's as I researched it after the fact, like there's there's a play, uh, a website that like tracks lion sightings in Connecticut, and I know plenty of people who claim to have had them or at least know someone who had. I just never assumed ever that I would see one, and I'm not going to lie to you that I wanted to see one. I felt like I felt like Robert. The, the dude who filmed Bib, Bigfoot, remember that, that, that Patterson video? Yeah, 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 yeah. I felt like him because that dude went out there looking for Bigfoot and he fucking saw a Bigfoot. You know, I didn't go out there looking for a lion, but I was definitely into seeing a lion. If I did, for sure, that's what I seen. Goddamn right. So I locked up the brakes and I pull over the side of the road, right? I got the trailer. I jump out the ride. I took three steps backwards. Le- legitimate, three steps. And, and I was heading towards, I wanted to see a footprint. I immediately knew that, that there's no proof on this. And I didn't know who's going to believe me. And I don't care because I know what I see. I took three steps backwards and I was gripped by an incredible feeling of fear. I was, <laughs> the animal didn't make sense. It didn't make sense to see it. So I climbed back in the car and I, I texted my brothers and, and a couple of my buddies. We have like a text chain going. I said, I got to memorialize this. And I texted them. I knew none of them were awake. It's 2.40 in the morning. And then I said, nope, I got to do more. And I called the police because what else I, I had to, to say it out loud in order to really believe what I had seen. It was that resonant to me that I was like, I got to do this. You know what I mean? And, and it was incredible. 
So yeah, did they tell you you they were absolutely DUI? nuts? They give you a DUI? You get, no, you get no. Oh, and, and I was stone cold sober. Yo, I, I, I take driving that car pretty seriously. Like, I oh, don't. Yeah, it's a '98, I, man. I don't want to crash around. my beautiful company car. It is still a beauty. Uh, you know, it, that's my jammy right there. I don't want to hurt that car. So, I, I take that seriously. Now, when I got to the Cape at you know 3:45, I cracked a beer immediately and pounded it because <laughs> it was, it was there was so much adrenaline. I can't explain it. It was just so much adrenaline and seeing it. It was crazy. But what, what did so, the 911 officer say to you when you, when you called? Well, it, it wasn't 911. I had Googled. I, was, I found um, Bourne is a big town in Mass. So I believe I Googled like Bourne, Mass State Police. Um, and it, it directed me to, you know, the troop that is associated with that area in Mass. And I called them. I called that number and I got their dispatch. Now... The dispatch officer was was a very reasonable guy. And, you know, I'm a reasonable person and I'm well-spoken, I think. And I, I, I literally recounted this and I told him, I'm telling you this because, for one, I feel like you should know because I know what I saw. And that's a huge predator that legitimately is. And my friend Derek made a good point to me where he's like, that's the only animal in America that will hunt you. And I don't know if that's true because I think wolves will. Um, which me and Derek didn't consider in our conversation. And, and there's coyotes, polar, will, there's, coyotes will harass you. There's polar bears in Alaska. What's that? There's polar bears in Alaska, and they'll hunt you. Yeah, okay, that's true. You. A polar bear yeah. absolutely will. And there's probably a number of animals in Alaska, now that you mention it, that will kill you just for fun. So Alaska excluded. And as a matter of fact, Hawaii as well. We're going to say continental United States. That's that's the predator, you know, and and why can't it be here has always been my question to the DEP. That's the Department of Environmental uh, Energy and, and Protection here in Connecticut. That there's habitat, there's food, and there's there's animals that have a 500-mile radius. You know, that's, that's the radius of an adult lion. And I don't see why they can't be. Um, and if they're not naturally reproducing, everybody in the world watched Tiger King. You know what I'm saying? somebody buys that shit off the black market and says, Oh, I got a lion. And then they, they realize how much meat it eats and they let it go or even worse. It escapes. And I believe that happens far more often than we care to admit. I mean, a lot of people did watch that tiger King show and the map that they showed of where he had distributed animals was fascinating to me and amazing. I, first of all, I had no idea such things existed as a tiger zoo, you know, like I seen him at the Southwick zoo here in, in, in new England, but, you know, I, I didn't think there was actually a place you could go to cuddle a tiger pup, cup. I mean, that's... Yeah, me neither, man. I would man. do that. I, I love, I love right cats. Back. I'm a cat guy. So, I mean, that was really cool to me. But it also, it exposed, you know, maybe it exposed some of the cruelty of zoos and aquariums. It made me look at them very differently because I'm an animal lover. So it made me think about that. And then seeing the lion... My friend Aaron made a great point. He's like, it's probably somebody's Tiger King release. And I was like, yeah, man, you're right. And then Mike Calmarks told me, he's like, they can have a massive fucking range, mate. And I was like, yep, I, that's right, too. You know, I'll never know. But I think I do they have a PA as well. well yeah. and, a, a bear lives in the city, bud. There's no doubt yeah, about right? it. You know, the, oh, fuck. you know, you will occasionally in northeastern Connecticut encounter a bobcat. And I have seen You're two, supposed to report them three. here. But I've seen, I saw two at once, and I saw another one. Oh, and that's having spent 44 years in northeastern Connecticut. At times, no, not every day, but 
but certainly being a guy who gets a little bit off the grid and a little bit, you know, in wild places. And there's plenty of them. My friend Dave's a trapper and he had one in a, in a, a box trap that he had set for fishers. He let it go. Obviously it's illegal to trap them, but he can't control what animal goes into his trap and, and inspects his bait. And he, he has a wonderful video of the cat, you know, before release. It's, it's a majestic animal. And the lion that I saw was the most majestic animal I've ever seen and ever will see. I'll never have an experience like that again. That to me was a lot like catching my first muskie actually. But, um, so I got there to the Cape after seeing the lion and I was, I was messed up, dude. I, there's some hippie dude there fishing. And I told him the story cause I had to tell somebody and he's like, he's like far out, man. And I was like, any fish? And he's like plenty. And I went down there and I caught him. So I had a great day and, and I was, I was, um, in, in one of those funky adrenaline states, you know, where you have had something really crazy and special happen. And then you got, had a great day fishing. Um, and I was very tired. And um, I had agreed I was going to go back to Scott's house. And Scott's deeply isolated from the COVID. He's an older gentleman. Um, he would hate me saying so. But no, he's not older. He's 60-something. But, you know, he's, he's a little bit more of a risk bracket than I am. So even if he had plenty of room, I was like, I'm a tent in your yard, which I like. I enjoy sleeping in my tent and, and camping, especially when I have a shitter within walking distance. Although I did shit in his woods only. So there's that. <laughs> Watch out, Scott. I did not have my entrance. Nature's, nature's. I did my best. Um, you shit in so, the shrubs. Yeah. So late Dandy afternoon, lion. I get over Scott's house, and our intention was to fish first thing in the morning together. And we sat on his porch and had some dinner and talked, and his wife made us these delicious sandwiches. And we both looked up, and it was rather late. It was probably around 11. And um, I said, you know what? Let's not fish in the morning. I said, I've had the craziest day. Let's, let's sleep in. And these are like music to his ears. He's like, yeah, buddy, I love it. So I says, hey, Scott, what's the forecast? You know, my phone was bringing up the weather back home. And he brings up his, his weather. He says, hey, no chance of rain, 0%. I go, ha-ha, no rain flying, nothing. My tent's got a, uh, my two-man tent, or it's really supposed to be like a four-man tent, but it's, you know, I'm a big animal, so it's, it's two fat guys. Tent. And it's got a mesh top, and I enjoy leaving the rain fly off when possible, so you can just like see out. It's it's just awesome. Plus, it'll get your ass up early in the morning. On Cape Cod, it's light at 4 a.m., so you're good to go 4 a.m. after. You can see just fine. But I enjoyed the idea of letting myself just luxuriously sleep in and wake when I felt, and that was that was sweet. And I fell instantly into one of the deepest sleeps I've ever been in. I had my tent set up. I use a cot when I'm solo. It's so convenient and easy, and I just use a blanket. And, you know, I brought my stuff in there. I brought my computer because I'd been working on an essay that was, like, bothering me. And I brought it into the tent. I didn't open it. And, and I had all my stuff in there. And um, I had my clothes laid out for the next day. I was ready to go. And at 4 a.m., is something within a deeply sleeping person that allows them to keep doing so, even when something horrific is going on. And at 4 a.m., I awoke utterly and completely drenched and by drenched i mean i'm soaked <laughs> and there is a torrent pouring into the tent i mean a torrent and i have no idea where it's coming from it's it's hazy light outside it's getting light there's water everywhere i don't have my glasses on and i i begin fumbling around i spring out of the cot and it, it, it goes all haywire and sideways and falls down and 
And, you know, my little table, I have, I have a travel fan that is battery operated. It's very luxurious when you're camping to have a fan blowing on you. It goes everywhere. I stand up. I fall over. The tent goes on its side because I haven't staked it down. My belongings are everywhere. Everything is soaked. And I can't find the exits. I can't find a zipper to get out of the tent. I considered ripping it apart. <laughs> but I couldn't find my knife because all of my things were everywhere. I finally find a zipper and I open it and I get out. And my good friend, one of my best friends in the whole world, Scott, had forgotten to turn off his sprinkler system. Oh. Yeah. <laughs> yep. yep. And, and I mean, when no I knew rain, it was bud, like directly into the mesh, he, he told me, and I didn't see the sprinkler system in action ever. I, even that night, I was so damn befuddled that I don't remember what it was. But he told me, he's like, oh, it's not a lot of water. I don't know how you got soaked. But it was it was so the, he sound, the, he the like angle and the trajectory that was directly through the mesh and into the tent that drenched everything. So, so it's four a.m. and I'm horrifically wet, oh and I I begin muttering to myself. And I love Scott, so I'm not going to wake him up with a phone call. But I I laid out all of my shit to dry. Beautiful day ahead. The sun is now fully risen, and it's over Long Pond, and, or whatever pond he lives on, Herring Run Pond, I don't remember, but he lives on Pond, too, and uh, it's gorgeous, and it's beautiful, and I find what dry clothes I can, and I put them on, and I go out, and I catch about 50 fucking stripers, so it was wonderful, you know, it just, it worked out okay, because I don't think me and Scott will ever get together again in our lives without me saying, you know, uh, you gotta turn your sprinkler system off next time I'm visiting, bro. Because because that was a rude awakening. But what a funny story, you know. It was it was really cool, kind of, to get soaked at 4 a.m. <laughs> oh, it's great. So he yeah. he used the same line from Beavis and Butthead to America. Uh, What's that? That's not a lot of water. <laughs> I love it. So he so set true. you an alarm anyway. It was a lot of water, and how I can prove that is. When I, when I stood up out of the cot, I was legitimately standing in standing water. You know how a tent will have, like, you know, a watertight bottom, essentially, and, like, six inches up the sides? That was filling with water. Oh, Jesus. So, so whether or not he, he admits that, that his, his sprinkler system is actually quite powerful, which is what I believe, um, <laughs> is beside the point. I was drenched. And I also don't know how long I slept through this, truthfully, because I was so splattered. tired. You know, maybe it was going for an hour. <laughs> That's why I was so wet. I'll never know. You went through but like two way, rotations of it. I got very wet it. in the morning, and then I I went out and I I um I found some stripers, and that was that was really fun and cool. <laughs> so as far as seeing them eat, I'll get to that now. I you know I'm not going to say every day was a banner day, but I had enough banner days in my my three or four trips down there this spring where where I felt like I want to try some other things. And I considered trying mouse flies. You know, I really like fishing mice. And I brought some down for that purpose, but I didn't use them because I had some, some of Mark's flies. And his river single is, is a really, really solid fly. And I like the way it rides. And I said to myself, you know, there was one gentleman at a fly shop who, who when I told I had been using musky flies, he said, I said, he said, well, you got to fish something small. And I said, well, I, I kind of been doing this. He was actually commenting on how, how short and stout my leader was. And he didn't ask what I had been fishing. You know, he said, oh, you need nine foot a leader and, and, a, and a baby clouser. And I was like, well, 
you know, I kind of been fishing musky flies. And he's like, oh, they're, they're eating really small things. I said, well, I've done okay. You know, I've caught some good fish. And he told me that it was because that fish was starving. So I guess I'm lucky that I happened to run into <laughs> some several hungry really fish, big man. starving fish. <laughs> yeah. you know, yeah. fly shop guy. <laughs> and um, what it was, was, was what the single will do is I could work a cast to about, I'd say, 60 or 70 feet. And and I would cast across a rip. So so what happens when a tide changes on, on the shore is you'll get a rip, which is a big current. So it's like a river in the ocean that at times you find the right spots is very close to shore and you can kind of cast to the far side of it and work your offering in an arc back to yourself. And that was the, the, the retrieve that I, I found most, most useful. You could even let it hang in the current a little bit there, you know, and jig it. And then oh, bang, there's a fucking hit and he's got it. You know, they're, they're hitting that shit really hard. Well, the flash said, Why got- won't they hit one of Mark's flies? And I put on a purple and pink, which are my two favorite colors for, for, for musky flies and i thought pink would be a good attracting color and within 10 minutes i had better fish and i was catching on clousers and it was awesome um you would see that fish eat because i was using an intermediate at the time i didn't even have a striper line i was using my pike line which is a rio rio pike musky with the intermediate head so i think it's 24 foot head of intermediate behind a floating line or in front of a floating line rather and, um, and it worked just fine. You know, I'd wash it after every, every outing, but it works really well. I like that line personally. So, you know, everybody's so particular on their lines, but I like that line for Pike. That line casts great. And it does. And I'm not a great caster. So that really helps. And, um, for about eight trips. Yeah. Right. <laughs> right. But it, I was, um, and this is a brand new one, actually, Chad, this is one that Jasper gave me. It's a 10 and I was using it on a nine weight line. So it was really, it really worked well because I could load it quick and, you know, do my best to blast casts. And um, so with the single, it didn't get down a lot because the Buford head on it, you know, it wants to rise. So I'd strip and I'd get maybe 12 to 18 inches of depth and then it would come back up. And when it was coming back up is when I was getting hit. And I got hit right on the surface a couple of times. And that was ultra visible. You know what I mean? That is ocular violence right there. They would come up and fucking smash that thing. And even when you miss them, that's worth the price of admission right there, dude. Just seeing them come up and hit it. It was, it was great. Yeah, better um, believe it. So the biggest fish I caught in all of my trips was 30 inches. And I, it was, I measured it against my rod before release. And then I measured, you know, the distance from the, the butt to the rod. And it was 30. And that fish ate a river single. And I caught two at about 28. And I can only say that because they were a couple inches shorter. And I want to call them keepers. 28 is a keeper, I think. Or maybe it isn't, but 28 is a good fish. Is that Keepa and with an A-H at the that? end? Did they say it with the A-H at the end? Keepa? Keepa. Keepa. Ah, that's a wicked good Keepa bag. You yeah, got to bring them home and put them on the table. You can't, have yeah. that, you can't have that hard ER at the end it's of a Keepa. true, yeah. What's keepa. that? Keepa. Pack your cow over there and you're going to get towed. <laughs> <laughs> um, so I didn't take any diapers home, but when we were there, um, no delicious bass. Sorry, my wife. My wife brought me a margarita. There <laughs> you go. She's the. I got to wet the whistle here because she makes a wicked margarita. She doesn't use any of that that like syrup or anything like real juice. It's delicious and lots of salt. Like when I get to the bottom of margarita, you're thirsty. I won't be able to spoon that salt up. That's, that's what I like. So um, the we didn't take any stripers home, but we did take a bluefish. There was a gentleman who was spin casting at one of the spots 
and he hooked a blue and I, I like blues like blues are predators with big teeth and they get a bad name but there's a wonderful book by john hersey called blues and in it it's one angler teaching another guy who doesn't fish to fish for blues and then he gives a recipe in every chapter of ways that people can prepare a blue and a lot of people think it's oh it's gross it's oily it's gamey but to be fair i really enjoy game and i enjoy an oily meat so the guy caught a blue and i says you're gonna take that home and our friend Paige was visiting with her husband julian and their children angus and and ren and Paige was a chef and is, is a trained chef so I had secretly in my mind, I was like, I'm going to make Paige cook this shit. <laughs> and, uh, and he's like, no, you can totally take it. And blues are, um, I feel that blues are relatively abundant. And, and as a general rule, like anglers won't mind you taking them. I would never take a striper. The, the, the stock is low. And I don't know how low because I'm not in that game all the time. But it's low and you shouldn't take them home. You should release everything you catch, period. So... But I wanted to eat fish, and, and Paige is a genius of a chef. So I was like, we're going to take that blue. And he's like, sure. So we took it. And then the dude hooked another one, and I had been casting with a spin rod with my son. like, And he enjoys that, just being able to bomb lures. Because you got a nine-foot rod with some 30-pound some power pro and a four-ounce lure. You can throw it a mile. <laughs> and River was really enjoying doing that, but he didn't hook up. This dude hooks another blue and he hand a rod off to Riv and Riv got the reel it in and that was special. And I says, Riv, we can take it. And my son, you know, the beautiful child that he is, he's like, I don't want to take it. We already got one. So he released the blue, but he at least had that experience of fighting it. Now in the past, I've hooked stripers on my fly rod and allowed him to land them. But that don't really count. You know what I mean? He actually did the work to reel this fish in from a distance and it was hard work for him you got to work those animals you know that's that's a hard fighting fish and he was able to do that which was really special and we enjoyed a delicious bluefish dinner so Paige made bluefish and she did it very simply you know we bled the fish as soon as possible and kept it on ice and we cooked it that night so it was very fresh and um she just put oil and dill on it and she removed some of the scales and she cooked it skin side down on a, on a, a reasonably hot grill and it was really good I, I like the gamey flavor and I like the oiliness of fish. So I, I enjoyed it, but she made that with a steak and corn on a cob and mashed potatoes. And man, that was a delicious dinner. Um, in case you can't tell, I enjoy eating. Uh, I Dude, really, I gotta go family well, vacation with you, man. What I would do, what I've done on our family vacation is literally, even if the tide ain't right, I'm going out at 4am, a first light, I'm gonna go out for at least a few hours. My kids, they're going to wake up at 6 or 7, and they're going to do whatever they want to do because it's summertime. They can watch a show on TV or watch their tablets. I don't care. They're having, I want them to have fun and do what they enjoy. When I get back, then all, all of a sudden, yeah, let's go swimming or let's go to the beach or, or let's do something together. But I like having, and I'm blessed with a very patient wife who, who I would be lost without, and she allows for this, for me to say, I'm gone every morning at 4 a.m. to 8, you know, basically four hours at least. And if the fishing's good, maybe it's 10. But she's so good to me and she allows for that. One thing that we focus on together as a couple is I truly want her to be as happy as possible, too. I, I insist that she goes out for girls night out, you know, and I've had I, I've insisted that she like during our isolation here, she's at least visited friends and done a hike. You know what I mean? And. And, and we, we want each other happy. And, and that's 
how our relationship stays so strong, I feel, is that I know that Amanda truly wants me happy, and I truly want her happy in, in change, and, and it's it's a good symbiotic relationship. So she lets me go, and, and she also knows, as I'm sure with all of y'all, if you can't get at it and you love to fish like we do, it maybe make you a different person a little bit. Absolutely. I hate to say that, yeah. but it's the truth. Yo, you, you all can speak to that, I'm sure. Absolutely, repeat, your, repeat yourself? I'm sorry. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I was lost it's there. It's really true. No, but for real, man, you got you got to keep her there, and that's uh that's how a relationship should be, and that's words spoken through wisdom and time learned. You know? Yeah, man. Hey, ace wife right there, yo. She's my ace. She's awesome, God and I'm right. really grateful for. Her. So, um, I'll tell you one final story of this trip, this particular Cape trip, because this is a great one. This, this is. Uh, it, hands down, is, a good one. <laughs> uh, I, I'm going to do this in full voice, I think, too, if possible. <laughs> I, I've been talking a lot, so, but maybe I will, maybe I won't. Another, a friend of mine, he says, I'm going to put you up with this dude. And this guy is, um, he's an excellent, excellent fisherman. And he fly fishes kind of similar to you. Single hand rod. He likes to throw those, um, uh, what are they called? Hollow flies. Um, who makes that hollow fly? What's that dude's name? He's famous. Popovich, exactly. Popovich hollow flies. You know, he likes some big beast flies and those are cool as hell. You know, that's essentially a musky fly, right? You could fish one of them for musky easily. Sure. So I was like, yeah, man, I want to know this guy because I was doing the thing with the Mark flies and, and I wanted to get with him and see maybe, you know, we could cop a spot off each other and and trade like that. And I'm always down to meet somebody. So he's like, I'm going to tell you though, he's, you know, he's a little bit out there. I says, okay. <laughs> I says, you know who you're talking to, right? And and the dude's like, yeah, you're a little out there too. He goes to me, he goes, listen, I'm going to put you all together. And it's either going to be heaven on earth or a real disaster. Because y'all are both kind of the same with, with a high energy for this type of stuff. And, you know, y'all could do something together. Now, there's an, there's an area of Cape Cod called the canal. And what the canal is, is it's a massive trench that's cut across the arm of the Cape to allow for, for freight to giant boats and barges to pass without having to go around the entire arm. The Cape is an arm that sticks out into the Atlantic Ocean. And so they made this thing called, you know, the, the ditch, or what do they call it? They, they call it the ditch, but it's, it's Cape Cod Canal. And it's very deep, um, has like, you know, drawbridges and shit and, and there's that's a, that's a hot spot for fishing with conventional gear. Um, that's where you get big fish on the Cape at certain times of the year. And it just so happened on my last trip that that was one of them times, and there were big fish in the canal. If you hit it right and you found bait, like my friend Jer says, he goes, you know, find the bait and you'll find stripers. And he's exactly right. If you hit it right, you know, there there's monster fish there, 50-pounders. And... I was, like I said, I'm not a size queen. I'm thrilled catching good size schoolies. You know, the 18s, they're fun. But I'll admit, you know, that there's a glamour there to say, I want to get a 50. I mean, hell yeah, who in the hell doesn't, you know? Um, you'd want a good fish if you could get it. And and I caught so many good fish already that, sure, let's go for a great fish, you know? So this dude fishes flies, and he fishes in Popovich uh, beast flies all the time. But he ain't no dummy and he knows you know if there's monsters in the canal i'm gonna go down there with some spin fishing gear and i'm gonna get them so i meet the gentleman on tuesday morning 
I slept at Scott's house Monday night and I meet him Tuesday morning before I meet my family because we had the rental from Tuesday to Saturday. And I go over and I meet him and we have a cup of coffee and we start to get to talking. And he's got some really cool fish stories, you know, and he's definitely high energy. And he's I'm like, this can be my type of buddy right here. And I'm not too sure he can't be still after all that happened between us, which I'll get to. But, um, so, yeah, so we're talking and, and he had fished the canal that morning and, and on the right tide. And he's like, yeah, you know, uh, he's like, you'll get, uh, he's, I don't know how many twenties I got. He says, I got tons of twenties. I got some in the thirties. You know, he's like, there's big fish here. And I was like, I'm in. I says, what do you want to do? He's like, can you meet me here tomorrow morning at 4am? And I says, yes, I can. Now, like I said, the early morning through the COVID entirely has been my time. And I would trout fish even if it wasn't the best time early morning so that I have the rest of the day to be, you know, to work. I work from home as my day job to hang out with the kids and do everything that, you know, you need to do in life. But I was taking them early mornings to fish. And um, so 4 a.m. at the canal sounds great to me. I do own a surf casting outfit. And most fly fishers in salt will own, uh, uh, you know, relatively light surf outfit of spinning gear because sometimes there are times when you just can't deal with the wind it's not possible to make a cast into it even for a great caster so if you want to fish you got to use spin gear and i use a heavy lure or maybe a cast master or a um you know a jig just a simple jig a bucktail jig with with a paddle tail on it that'll do wonders so i agreed to meet this gentleman at the the canal at 4 a.m and I left our house in Chatham, which is about 25 minutes from there, at 3.33 a.m. And I texted him and I said, 401 ETA. That's what my, my supercomputer phone told me, right? A moment later, my phone rings and it's, it's the guy I'm meeting. And he's in a frenzy. And he says, I just caught a 49-incher. Now, I'm in the Cherokee. I got nothing towed. And I don't like to drive fast, but I dropped that fucking gas pedal, man. Let me tell you. I says, I'm on the way. <clears throat> it occurred to me. I said, if he got a 49-incher, he's not at the spot we're supposed to meet at. And I don't know my way around there whatsoever. So I tried to mention, you know, like, hey, um, are you going to be back at the spot for four? You know, I'm on my way. I'm hurrying. And he's like, I got to go. There's fish everywhere. So I'm like, <laughs> pandemonium. And he yeah. ain't even mentioned in like, that. You know, this spring, my wife had found one day two four leafed clovers. Two. And I've never found one in my entire life of looking. And for Father's Day, she gave me one. Right. And I was like, word, that thing is money. She still has it, by the way. I gave it back to her because I said, I'm too irresponsible to hold this right now. You have to put it in a safe place. And she has, I'm sure. So I kind of thought that that's been the luck of, of, of my spring because I've, I've really caught a lot of good fish for me. You know, there's that joke, like, that's a good fish for you. That, <laughs> yeah. That's happened to me a lot this spring. So I, I'm like, I'm going to step in it again here. I'm, I'm getting a 20-pound bass at least. If he caught a 49-incher, which you could kind of guesstimate between 40 and 50 pounds, then, then I'm going to catch something. I mean, there's fish there. I hope. Um, so I'm fucking flying down Route 6 to get there. <laughs> Phone rings again. It's him. It's like 10 minutes later. He's screaming. He says, you need to get super glue. I says, super glue? I says, 345 in the morning. <laughs> he goes, 
he goes, I need it for my jigs. I got to get the tails on them. You know, I kind of get that. Like in my head, I'm like, okay, I could see how super glue could be a real gem when you're catching a lot of fish and you want to keep your jig on there or your, your paddle tail or whatever he's using for a tip on a jig. Like that could be a help. I'm like, okay. He, I says, where am I supposed to get it, man? I don't know anything. You know, I'm, I'm not from here. And he's like, there's fish everywhere. And he hangs up the phone. <laughs> and I'm like, all right, now shit's getting for real here. Because there's still fish everywhere. It's 3.45 in the morning. I need to find super glue. So, you know, we got the iPhone. I just jam it in there. Gas station. Right? It says, get off six. I jump off route six. I'm flying down the roads. I'm like, cop's going to get me. He didn't get me. But at least that time. He did get me later on the trip. But... Um, <laughs> I fly, I, I, the first gas station I go to is closed. I said, you mother, you stupid phone, you know, like, put me in a station that's open. The next one's open. I go steaming in there like a bat out of hell. I said, you got any super glue? And he's like, if we do, it's down there. And they had two bottles, and I bought that shit. Now, mind you, <laughs> it's no joke shit. to go into a gas station. Because I, I pull in there, I got to put on a mask. We use gloves in my household. Um, and once you do this isolation, it's difficult to break. So, you know, mask, gloves, store, get the super glue, get out, wash the super glue with the Clorox I keep in, keep in the car, <laughs> take it out the bottle, get ready, jump back on the road, flying, I'm ready. Just threw it like just 4 a.m. About 4 a.m. I said, I'm going to be late, but I'm going to be there, and I got the <laughs> super glue. Phone rings again. It's him. He says, can you get me a Dunkin' Donuts iced coffee? Now, anyone who knows me knows that if I have a weakness in life outside of, of I have many weaknesses now that I say that. <laughs> a weakness, a sure thing weakness for me is iced coffee. I love it. So I'm like, he needs an iced coffee. Now, I have a thermos of iced coffee that we made at home. Like, the way we've de- dealt with uh, that is we make, I make my own iced coffee every day here. We, we just take coffee and brew it and put it in the fridge and it's iced coffee. <laughs> so I got yep. a thermos of this, but he wants a Dunkin'. And I don't want to share either because... I got like the one little cup on my thermos. Thermos goes with me ice fishing or any fishing. Every time I go fishing, I bring a thermos of coffee every single time. Um, if, if it's a real trip, if I, if it's something hit and run, then maybe I don't, but if I'm going for a couple hours, you better believe I'm bringing a thermos of iced coffee and I'm going to enjoy a cup of coffee on the river or on the lake or wherever I am. So I jump off route six again and I buy two iced coffees, largest <laughs> because I want one too. It's delicious. I mean, and I don't go anywhere. You know, I haven't, I've been so deeply isolated that Duncan is a relatively luxurious treat. So I get us to our Duncan back on the road. I fly down. Now you got to cross a bridge. So what time is it now? Probably 4.15, maybe 4.20. I'm late. Hey, whoa, hey, yeah. And, And I haven't heard from him in a bit. So I'm like, he's on fish. So I go to the spot that we're supposed to meet at. And then I call him and I say, hey, man. I'm here. You know, I know you're on the river or on the, on the canal. Where are you? I got, I'm gonna come find you. I got a backpack with my gear. I got a surf bag with my surf lures. I got a nine foot spinning rod. Six and I coffees. Got two iced coffees. Right. I got some stuff to carry, but I'm ready. And he says, where are you? I says, I'm at the spot. He's like, get on your bike and, and, and drive and, and go across the bridge again. And, I says, wait a second, I don't got a bike. Now, one thing at the canal is the, the savvy angler has some pretty cool shit. And one of them things is, is a tricked out bicycle. They will 
they will rig a bicycle up there. There's a walking path that runs the well, entire duration yeah. of the canal. And they'll they'll get a bike and they'll put like, you know, they'll take a milk crate and, and add some PVC pipes for rod holders. And they're mobile units, man. They can zip. So if the fish are down there two miles, see ya. I'm going to jump on the bike and skate. So I don't have a bike. I says, you know, hey, man, I ain't got no bike. <laughs> He's like, you don't have a bike? I says, no. And I have no idea where I am because I'm from Connecticut and I don't know where I'm at. I said, can you come meet me? <clears throat> he says, he says, go park at the Bourne Post Office. He says, find a spot around there. He says, walk down to the canal, go 100 yards north. I says, bet, I'm on it. I get in my car, I punch in the directions. The Bourne Post Office is back over the bridge the other direction. So I says, okay, fuck it, I got to do it. And I drive over the bridge, and I go to the Bourne Post Office, and I park. And I gear up with the backpack and the surf bag and the rod and the two iced coffees. And I walk. And it's a muggy morning. And I have on a sweatshirt for some stupid reason. And, <laughs> I bet and it's I a New England sweat. Patriots sweatshirt, too. Now, right? there's, there's a curse <laughs> that wilds have. And we sweat like criminals in church. And I am sweating like a pig. And I go 100 yards north, and he is not there. And I go another 100 yards north, and he is not there. So then I go 200 yards south to my starting point, And I said, maybe he's south. And I go 100 yards south, and he's not there. And I go 100 yards south of there, and he's not there. And I walk back 200 yards north, so I'm back at my starting point again. And I'm literally dripping sweat. I have taken off the sweatshirt. And tied it around my waist, old school style. Like, <laughs> two or and I'm just style. <laughs> I, I have on a pair of Keens, and I'm just walking and walking and walking. And I can't find this gentleman. And I, I put down the two ice coffees, and the ice is melting at this point. And I, I'm like, I call him. I say, I, I don't know where you are, but I need help. And, and he's screaming he's on another fish. And I'm like, Jesus fucking Christ. You know, I need to get there. And so this dude hears me talking. I, I, I'm talking loudly and I'm on speakerphone because I'm holding so much stuff. And there's people fishing in front of me. And the way these guys fish is they will bomb a cast. And ideally, you're using a very heavy rod, you know, 10, 11 feet, ultra heavy, massive surf reel and giant poppers. Or, or jigs or, or, or any type of like saltwater lure. And they're just bombing casts 200 yards out into the, the canal and retrieving. And as I'm talking to him, I watch a guy cast a popper. And as far out as he can make it, I watch the, the arc of the cast into the canal. It's beautiful. It's a long um, lux type thing to watch this lure fly. And it flies true. And he doesn't get any fouling. And he makes a beautiful cast. And he don't retrieve three spins of the reel when he gets smashed. And the guy, like his buddy, says, nice. And, and the guy's on a fish, so his buddy reels in real quick to get, all, uh, get his line out the way and let him fight that fish. And the guy walks up. There's, there's, there's about a 20-foot rock embankment. And I would believe, I don't know this for a fact, but I believe it's for flooding purposes maybe or like super high tides when they have, you know, um, a, a hurricane or whatever. And, and he walks up to me and he goes, hey, man. Ask your buddy what pole he's at. And at the canal, there's telephone poles that run the length, and they have, have numbers on them, one through whatever. I says, all right, good point. And I don't know why I hadn't thought about this, but I hadn't thought about this. It was for naught, 
in that I asked him, and he says, I don't have a clue what pole I'm at. And I'm like, okay, great. <laughs> so I says to the guy who told me, I'm like, what pole am I at? And he's like, you're at 321. And I'm like, okay. So I says to, to, to the guy I'm supposed to meet, I'm like, I'm at 321. And, and finally, I hear someone in the background saying to him, you're at 121. And I'm like, so I'm 200 poles away from you. And the guy who came up and knows the canal and, and like instructed me this way, he's like, yeah, you're miles away and you're on the other side of the canal. I go, you're shitting me. He told me to come park at the, at the Bourne post office. And I did. And, and I tell him this and he goes, not the Bourne post office, the Sagamore post office. <laughs> so Sagamore's on the other side of the canal again. And I got to cross the bridge a third time this morning. Hmm. And I said, at this point, I'm in deep. And it's probably 6 a.m. now. And I don't know what to do. I'm drenched in sweat. <laughs> I, I badly need to sit down. I'm sore and, and tired at this point, And I'm getting frustrated, um, admittedly. Now, I was trying to be as nice as possible to him. Because, again, I know where the bread's buttered. And if this guy's going to put me on a 20, I'll suffer a little bit for it. You know, that, that's part of the deal for me. I'm down. But, um. I crossed the bridge again and I can't find him. And now it's like seven thirty, and I started thinking about my kids and my wife at home. And I started thinking about a nice, cool swim in, in long pond. And I drank my iced coffee. There was no ice, but I drank it anyway. And, and I took a few casts into the canal to say I had done it. And I hooked nothing. By that point, the tide had changed. I didn't see anyone hooking up anymore. And, I took the glue and the iced coffee they had bought for him and I, I put it next to a porta potty because it was a landmark. And I took a photograph of it and I used my phone. My, this guy couldn't even figure out how to like do a pin of himself. You know, I was like, drop a pin. Tell me. Give me something. And he couldn't do it. He was such in a rage of these fish that, that he, um, he couldn't help himself. And I, in a way, I didn't blame him. I was frustrated and angry. But I didn't know how I would react if I was catching 20 to 50 pound bass in the fashion that I had been catching the schoolies, you know, 10 or, or 5 to 10 pound bass. I don't know what I would have done. You fucked up. You should have stayed at that like guy's that. house. So I, I don't know you if I could have You should have stayed at his house. That's rules from now on, man. Yeah, man. You should have been like, I'm like, fucking coming be... with you until what this shit happens. So... So I, when I told this story to Scott, you know what Scott told me? He said, I don't know about your buddy there that you were supposed to meet, but Chad, you didn't make yourself a good enough plan. <laughs> 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 so I left the coffee and the glue there. I took a photo of it and texted it to him. I said, look, here's your shit. I'm going home. And I went back to the, to the rental. I took a nice cool swim with the kids and had a fine day. You know? Do you really he think he was catching message. them fish, though? I want to. I want to read. Can I read you his text? I can. Why not? Yeah, absolutely. Um, I gotta find it. Let me see. Um, <laughs> I'm gonna look this dude up. Re remember, no names. No names. He has. A, he has an alias in my phone. No, there you so, go. The alias is always good. Asswipe that needed glue. No, no. His alias is Jacques Striper. Oh, Jacques there Striper. you go. I, I would change it to Duncan Douche. <laughs> Duncan Douche. Here you go, ready? There you go. He, he says, Chad, I'm very sorry for the confusion this morning. I didn't realize how unfamiliar you were with this area. I couldn't sleep last night, and I went on the canal at 1.30 at the herring run, but the fishing sucked. So I jumped over the bridge to fish a mussel bed that holds fish, and I got into them pretty good. 
that first fish was 49 inches long and every cast from 3 to 4.30 a.m. was on fire. I'm sorry my communication was bad. I'm tying some flies for you if you're interested. I caught pretty good yesterday at Harding's Beach and plan on being there about 3.30 to 4. Thank you for the glue. I'll give you a 10 spot and some flies. So it shows that he truly has a good heart. And um, and I haven't got the flies yet, but I do intend on picking them up. <laughs> how, how much order was this, man? For my suffering that morning. Um, but yeah, the canal's a different ball game, man. I mean, oh, shit. A 49-inch bass is no joke. That is a monster fish. Oh, and I would love amazing. to catch one someday. It would be crazy. <laughs> so so he just he just threw everything to the fucking wayside and couldn't do shit because these bass Yo, were... he couldn't do it. I what understand. would you do? I, mean, I don't imagine, fucking know. You oh. Take picture muskies, right? So I sent so you a picture anyway. Imagine you just caught three, and like for some reason the moon phase is right, the fucking whatever's right, and they're on fire, and you're on them, right? I don't know. I don't know I, what I. I would don't do. know. In my honest opinion, I'm having a hard time believing the guy. Right. Well, I honestly no, do. I like to I see hear pictures, that. but I, I I believe him. I, I did believe him on that, and um and you know I've seen his photos. And, I don't think he'd run you around like that. Well, the only other thing is like, man. And you've talked to him on the, the phone in the first place. And I know after, when I talk to somebody who is in that kind of a moment, you can te- you you could have probably yeah. t- told by the, the enthusiasm, the way he was talking to you. There's no you doubt. Know, yeah, it's hard to, you know, you could tell when somebody's faking it. I'm hooked up with a big fucking striper, eh? So, <laughs> you know, so that guy's not <laughs> married. Wicked huge. It's a wicked big fucking striper. Yeah, the wicked, 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 wicked <laughs> The, the word fuck on Cape Cod has a big giant H and a K in it, like fuck. Moby Dicka. It's distinctive. It's a fucking monster. You know, it's, it's different. It's um, they have a, a sick accent on the Cape, that's for sure. So, but it, but it was the, the the best part about the entire trip by far was the visual strikes on the on the uh, river singles. I mean, that was so dang cool, and it was really neat. Also, like. I've been writing an essay called Unearned Stripes, and it's about my experience in the salt because it, it goes to speak to like fishing a lot in general that, you know, when you trust somebody or when you have a good buddy who's who's down for you and is like a, a partner fishing wise, they'll put you on. And the, the bent of the essay is that I never really got into the surf until somebody really put me on. And then it was like, these are unearned stripes, man. I mean, Dude sent you a pin, you know, what else do you need? Go make it happen. And it, but yeah, it was still satisfying that I was able to make it happen. You know, all this was solo fishing. Most of my friends don't like in Connecticut. I don't, I don't ever get somebody to come fish with me with what I have on the Eastern side. Um, I have a lot of small streams that I love fishing. I love fishing for tiny trout and wild trout is, is like, you know, my bag in the early spring and, I have several um, within a very short, like your muskies, I'm lousy with trout. You know, there's several places here. They're not big fish. You know, they're not going to get a size queen to come out here, but they're good. They're, they're beautiful animals and I love them. Um, so I do that, but it's hard for me to get like my buddies to come because um, the Farmington river in, in Connecticut is the, the, the best trout stream. Uh, some would argue the Housatonic, but the Farmington's, you know, nationally renowned and it has an excellent population of wild browns and the state does stock it but they stock it with what's called the survivor strain brown and those are like um they're essentially essentially they're 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 
supposed to be reproducing. You know, they're they're like the better strain, I guess, or whatever. And so, and there's tons of wild fish in the Farmington, and they're big, beautiful animals. So I don't blame them either. You know, they who's going to drive 45 minutes to come fish small stream? Well, Chad Bauer would. I mean, yeah, Doctor J would. Only 40 for sure. You know, that's just what I've got out here. So I think you tend to fish. If you're like me, at least you tend to fish what you can. You know, this is. I mean, if, if they were gar, I'd fish for gar. If they were were catfish, I'd fish for catfish. You know, I just I just fish, and that's what I've got. So I enjoy it, and and I do wish some of my buddies would visit more often. But it's a commitment. Like you guys, I'm sure it's the same. Like most of us got young kids, and I'm in one of those grace periods because my kids at six and eight, they can get a drink, they can go to the bathroom. It's they over, can man. Themselves, they can read a book. You got to look back on younger. You don't have as much flexibility, at least if you're a committed father like I was. You didn't. You don't get to fish that much. And to be honest, over the past couple of years, I hadn't been able to fish. I have arthritis, and um, I had to have both of my hips replaced, which I've done. Yes, was today the ninth? Two days ago was the one year anniversary of my first hip replacement. My right hip was put in on seven seven nineteen, and two years ago that hip was one year old. And I had my left one done on uh, 10, 10, 24, 19, I believe. But um, I have two new hips, and I feel like a spring chicken again. I can, I can do things. The most fascinating thing with regards to my new hips was the first time I sprinted, because that happened on Cape Cod, too. <laughs> I, I hadn't been able to run for 10 years. Um, I was an athlete as a young man, for the most part. I really loved baseball, and I was pretty good at it. And I really enjoyed playing men's softball when I was older. I played like high comp men's softball, and that was fun as hell because you could just go jack balls and, and rip them out of the ballpark if you were, you know, a strong kid like me with good bat speed. And and, and I loved doing that, and I loved playing shortstop when I did play softball. But um, I I ended up with really bad hips, um, arthritic, and when I went to the doctor at age thirty because my knees were killing me, and I was playing a lot of ball at the time, so my knees were killing me. And the doctor says, it ain't your knees, it's your hips. He says, you have no more cartilage. And the nerves that run over your hips go over your knees. And, and in effect, that's what's causing the pain. So I said, well, what do you do? You know, I'm 30 years old. And he says, you got to have your hips replaced. And it, it hit me like a ton of bricks. I said, you're kidding me. I'm 30. And he says, yeah, I know. He says, so what you want to do is you want to put it off as long as you can. He says, you do them now, you're going to do them at 30. You're going to do them again at 50. You're going to do them again at 70. He says, put it off. You can't really do much aerobic exercise, at least high impact. And you got to change what you do. And you go as long as you can with pain. So I went until I was 43 or 42, because in 18, when I returned from my musky trip is when my hips really blew up. But I, I suddenly realized that it was not just you could do it with pain, but I couldn't do it anymore. I couldn't tie my shoes. I couldn't clip my, my toenails. It was, it was so embarrassing. My legs didn't bend. They didn't work. And I oftentimes would ask Amanda, I would say, I wonder if I'm a pansy. I said, I wish you could feel this and tell me how much this hurts. And when my hip doctor told me I have the hips of an 80-year-old before the surgeries, I sort of felt validated. I was like, yeah, you know, this does really hurt. You do know that. And it's not that you're lazy in, in not being able to do things. It's that you can't. And, and this is going to help you. So I had both hips replaced. And... I, I faithfully did the rehab and I enjoyed being able to do the rehab. What's amazing about hip replacement is when you wake up after the surgery, literally within minutes, 
you realize there is no pain. And it's, it was shocking to me. I'm not lying when I say I almost, in a way, missed the pain. I had become so accustomed to being in pain that it was a part of my day-to-day existence. And when it was gone, it was so bizarre. So I was like, hell yeah, I'm rehabbing this because I feel like I'm 20 again. Um, and I had the other one done and I rehabbed the hell out of that. And then come spring of this year, I, I realized I could do everything again. I could kneel down again and, and play with my kids. I could, I could tie my own shoes. Right now I'm sitting with my legs crossed. I couldn't do that for a decade. Yeah. It feels great to be able to do that. But I realized how, how much things had changed when my friend Julian, who's an avid photographer, he was like, I want to take a picture of you catching a striper. And it was like on, on the last day I was at the Cape. So I says, let's go down to the beach. And we got there and I said, as soon as we got there, I was like, well, the wind is wrong as hell here. So I'm not going to be able to fly fish. And by that point, my elbow was legit hurt. And so I was like, that's fine. I'm going to throw the gear. So we started walking on this particular beach and I saw a blitz about 100 yards ahead. And again, a blitz is like a ton of birds working on the top of the water and you see surface activity like there's no doubt what's going on. Something is getting the hell out of it, eating out of it. And I just instinctively took off sprinting. And it was the first time that I had run. I don't know how long, but man, did that feel good. And I got there and I got one of them. And, and it, was, it was really a special moment for me in retrospect. And you don't even realize it after you've had hip replacement. You just sort of, all of a sudden you're like, wait a second, I'm kneeling down. Or, or wait a second, I'm, I'm, I'm climbing a ladder. You know, I couldn't do yard work. I would ask people to come help me. Like, and that's shameful as an adult in a way. And sometimes you'd get lucky and your buddy would be like, yeah, I'm going to come by. But most times they got their own fish to fry. You know what I'm saying? So I would suffer through the raking of the leaves. I'd, I'd take four leaves and then go out and mow the lawn. You know, that sucks. That's a horrible way to live. And I didn't realize how much pain I was in until it was gone. And and I could do that shit, like sprint down a beach and, and catch up to a school and and nail one, you know, it was, it was really satisfying. And that's been a blessing to me too. I've been very lucky to, to have a great doctor who, who could do this type of thing. And, and, you know, was, a great job with benefits where I can pay for that. Cause that shit ain't cheap, you know, oh, hell no. two fucking new hips within three months is, was is your, no joke. Was um, your doctor's name Jay? <laughs> I could, I'll tell you, not only could I have used Dr. J at the time, but actually right now I could use Dr. J's presence to uh, awesome. to inspect my condition and perhaps prescribe a, uh, a remedy for what ails me. <laughs> so, hey, Chad, we've had you yeah. on the line for I, like... I want to hear one more story. Okay. I got it. We didn't really get you into your, your... No, we didn't. We talked about the first muskie off the air, oh, yeah. but we oh. haven't got to hear on the air yet. So I want to hear right. about your little Wisconsin, your Wisconsin trip, and 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 it the, was the it bread, was so, so sick. Um, so yeah, flipping back, I think we did did talk. We were talking about how like I felt like you got to make ten thousand casts. You know what I mean? Yeah. And um, I missed out on getting the bread because I couldn't afford it that one year. And then the next year, I was like, I'm making this happen. So I reached out to Brad and I was like, Listen, you remember I gave you that deposit? And he's like, Oh yeah, yeah. I says, listen, I'm going to be around. I says, Let, let's go fish. Do you mind? He's like, no, I got a day. That's totally fine. He says, come by. And I had really, I think I had probably left him a couple hundred, maybe two, three hundred bucks for a deposit, you know, not a shitload, but certainly no small change for a guy like me. And I was like, great, you know, that works perfect. So I took a plane from Connecticut to uh, Minneapolis 
and I got to Minneapolis and my friend Justin, um, Justin Maddox picked me up and, and we got a, had a, a room for the night in Mini, and then we, we took off driving and we went down to Brad's in, uh, at the Flambeau. So we were North Wisco, I guess at that point, I don't know. I don't know Wisco's geography that well, but it was, it was, it was on the Flambeau. And I met Brad and, you know, I sound like, I don't know. I sound like a fanboy or whatever, but I've respected Brad for as long as I've known what fly fishing for muskie is because, you know, I watched zero to hero and, and he was the often angler on the Drake, bro. He yeah. Was, he was the a, Right. <laughs> and he always supported me. Um, I, and I, I was, I was a small dude on the Drake. You know, I, I got in that game late. I watched it for years and I was like, those dudes are fucking doing what I do. But I didn't have the confidence to really introduce myself. And I finally didn't. And I made, I made the best friends that I could possibly imagine on that place. You know, yourself, Jasper, Mike Talmarks, Justin Maddox, all those dudes, um, you know, Fred and Kevin, um, so many, uh, Bob, Bob White, Iron Man. Harrington, all those dudes, they're, they're, they're important to me. They're friends of mine. And I wouldn't have met them if it wasn't for social media. And it gets a bad name, and it should, because it's kind of ugly at a lot of times. But for me, a guy who sort of felt like a misfit, Brett Kick said something really interesting the other day. He's like, the reason why we all got along is because we didn't really, you know, even if we were from very different places, we didn't really fit in. And I agreed with that statement. You know, people on, on, on line were doing things that I do. And none of my friends around here work. I don't, I don't have many friends who fly fish, you know, plenty of friends who fish gear and we'll go out once in a while. And, you know, it's fun to go fishing, blah, blah, blah. But it's more different thing for us who, who are, are maybe of this ilk, you know, like folk who really live and die by it. And, and it, it means a lot to be able to do. It's your passion. And Brett made a good point, which is that's the value of it. You know, I, Chad, I would never, have known what it's like to go visit Jay's camp, which I thought was the most awesome thing when I was out there. You know, absolutely. I know that <laughs> if it hadn't been for online, I wouldn't have friends like you. When I published my book, I will never forget what you said to me, Chad. You said five words, and I wrote them down that day. You said, "I am so proud of you." Absolutely, and that bro. Was that was special? I have that and book I right here beside me. I told you at the time. I says. You and your boys are a big inspiration. You remember this conversation? I do. <laughs> because I, what impressed me about y'all so much was I was like, and it's the same thing with SoundCloud rappers. I'm really into SoundCloud rap. But I saw these yeah. independent people like yourselves who were just like, what I, what I interpreted it as was kind of like, fuck it. It don't exist. I'm going to make it. You know what I'm saying? We sit around and have this conversation that I feel would be valid for so many people to listen to. You and your boys, this is. And I said, they're just doing it. You know, they just, they just decided to do it. And it's the same with the SoundCloud rappers. Those guys, they don't get paid for their music. They put it out there for you. They give it away. How you support them is you buy the merch or you buy a t ticket to the show or whatever. But tell a friend it's that independent nature of just being like, nope, I'm going to do it on my own DIY till I die. You know, that that's been one of my models for a long time is if they don't make it, you make it. It's up to you. So for writing, for me, I was like, there's, these are thoughts I have, and I have basically one rule in writing, and my rule is don't try. Um, those words are written on Charles Bukowski's grave, and he's my, my favorite writer of all time. Him and, you know, there's a few, but he's, he's up there. And don't try has always been one of my mottos. I talk to my kids about this, because 
if you allow yourself the out by saying, I'm going to try, you probably won't accomplish. It's like that thing that Yoda says, you know, Yoda's like, try not do or do not. That's, that's the way I do it. And I don't try. I don't try. There's only do. I write it. I don't ask myself to write. I don't ever put a deadline on anything, but occasionally I'll get seized by an idea. And most of my essays come to me absolutely fully formed. I know exactly what I'm going to say before I even set a pen to paper. So, you know, I was able to get support from strange places for this. And you saying that you were so proud of me, that made me, made me feel so good. It, I was so proud to have someone say that of me. And the reason I did self-publish a book was really due to Justin Maddox. On one of the websites, on the Drake, Justin had quoted one of the essays that I had published in the Drake. And I didn't know Justin from Adam at the time. But I was shocked that someone had read that magazine and read the essay and and appreciated what I had said to the point that he knew who I was. My screen name, you know, and my nickname ain't ain't a big secret. I'm Chad Rock. You know, it's been my nickname for a long time. And that's what I go by is Chad Rock. And, And that he knew that I had written something and it had meant something to him and he had commented on it. I mean, that blew my mind and Justin will forever be in my debt for that because I said, if this very, very good person has gotten something out of what I've written, then then there's value there that I don't even consider because I do this as a hobby or as a lark. I do it when I feel for it and that's it. Don't try. All of a sudden it's like, oh shit, that's an essay, you know, and I'll write it down. And he inspired me so much, Justin did, with, with just remembering that I had had written a comment. It was in... It was in the Drake magazine in a in a, uh, a tippet that I had written called Frog Song, and it was about bass fishing. And Justin is an avid black bass fisherman. He loves them Ozark smallmouth and largemouth, and he does it well. And I've been meaning to get down there and visit him. It's on the list. I'm sure you got them lists too. But yeah, we all. Have so he inspired <laughs> me, right? And I was like, okay, I could do this. And I thought to myself, what, how are you going to do this? And what are you going to do? You know, I'm, I, I'm not, I got sick of waiting for random house or some fucking publisher to come find me. And to be honest, I had been rejected a lot of, a lot of times I tried to lengthen out my submissions to different magazines and they'd been rejected, you know, and, and really I only knew a couple of magazines where I felt my voice fit in. So yeah, I, and the Drake I, being one of them, right? The Drake is definitely one of them. And the Drake means a lot to me, even yeah. if, you know, Folk have different opinions. They think it's too steelhead driven or whatever. But to me, if I'm going to read a magazine these days, I want it to be the Drake or Gray's. Gray's Sporting Journal is, is wonderful writing and photography and art. And, and those are both very valid magazines. Those are my two. You know, everybody has their own opinions or whatever. But like when I go on vacation, I'm going to buy a Drake. I'm going to buy a Gray's. And when I got into Drake the first time, which was in the spring of 15, I was like, whoa I'll never forget hearing back from tom by and being like whoa he read my shit and he wants to publish it you know it was like no fucking way it was a it was a, a life dream and and that that essay was called church and still one of my favorites where i essentially equate what i do on a sunday morning with what my mother does and she's an avid religious woman and, and i envy her faith but my faith was different you know my faith was on the water and i wrote about that and, amen and they were gracious enough to publish it which gave me a lot of confidence. And in addition to that, at that same time, there's a local angler here named Kieran Broach. And Kieran is very, very talented. 
Um, he fishes all different ways, multi-species, different methods. He's an ice fisher like I am. And, and he, he's a good shit. And he's, he's always maintained a blog called the Connecticut Yankee. And he asked me for an essay and I don't know, I don't even know how he knew that I wrote. Maybe he knew because I actually had written, I would do like how to articles for some of the local magazines at the time. And I would do it for like money for gear. If I wanted something, I'd like come up with an essay and, or not an essay, but like a, you can catch salmon by going out with this dude and doing whatever. And, um, I get that he asked me for some essays and I had them because I would write for fun. And I was like, well, here you go. You know, I'll send you something in the email and you tell me what you want to do with it. And I sent him something. I can't remember which one was the first one he put on, on his blog. But understand, I'd read the blog for years. And as I got to know Kieran through tying flies together and hanging out, like I was, I was always, always very impressed by his writing and the fact that he maintains this blog. Maintaining a blog is difficult because you got to stay on it. And he's got two young kids and it ain't easy. So I was proud that he came and asked me for some submission. And I was proud to give it to him because I, I respected the blog so much. So that had happened. And I started giving Kieran something once in a while. And I started trying to get into Drake once in a while. And um, and I said, you know, I kept writing as, as I wouldn't try. I would just I'll be like, oh, damn, I got to write that. It, it, it's what I want to write. And I want to say this. And there's validity to it because every fishing story is worth a damn. And I just started writing. And then I had enough of it. And my true fear, I, I had to write an email to one dude who, who refused to pay for the, the book because I had, um, he, he actually told me it was spiral bound, my book. And the reason why it was, was because it was a financial decision. I worked with a printer right here in Willington called Anything Printed. And Joe and Pam were like, they became really good friends through the process. And we talked about it. They said, like, how much can you spend? They suggested I print 30 books. And I said, well, I want 101. That was the number that I felt I could sell based off of my community. And I wanted to give a reading at our local library. And I thought I could do that. And they said 101 because they had printed like other local books, but nothing like mine. And I said, yeah, I want 101. And they quoted me a price. And I says, okay, now what if you did it, you know, a little bit cheaper? And he said, well, we can spiral bind and we could do it for, for about 1400 bucks. I says, okay, do that. And it took a hit to come up with 1400 to do this. But I had envisioned that I would sell this for $20 a pop. And I had actually worked out. I estimated the number of hours I spent writing. And I made a, a, a little flyer that said price transparency. And it said, well, Chad spent X number of hours writing this, and he's trying to get $20 per book. Keep in mind, $1 per book is going to go to the Wellington Public Library, and the rest of it is what he wants to use to buy, you know, fishing stuff. <laughs> and I sold all 101, except for the one guy who refused to pay for it, um, because he called it a printout. And uh, it, I, I think he came across as pretty arrogant, saying so, and I guess it just didn't fit in with his, his bookshelf, so to speak. But in truth, my secret hope was exactly what Jasper Walsh would do with the book. Jasper read my book, and he left it at a camp in Maine. And inside the cover, I had put a lyric from one of my favorite songs called High Strangeness by Wiccafe's Springs Eternal. And it said, do what thou will with me. I know not what I am. And that's what I felt about the book. I was like, I don't really know what it is. I wanted to see my writing in a physical form and I wanted to do this. And when I did, I had one copy printed initially. I fell in love with it. I was like, 
and you're not supposed to treat your writing as precious. And I haven't, you know, after the fact, but there was a shock to it that was like, wow, that's what I've done, you know, and to leave something behind. And I donated the copy to the Wellington Public Library so someone could take it out, you know, just maybe they come across it. Just like maybe someone goes to Jasper, the camp that Jasper was at up in Maine, and it's a cold morning maybe, and they make a fire and have a coffee because they're not going to fish, it's raining, and there's books on a shelf, and they see the spiral-bound thing, and they they pick it up, and and maybe they start reading it, and there's validity there, you know? Like, that's a cool little thing, I think. And if Jasper listens, I I would love to someday go to that camp and look at that book. (laughs) I took it out today. I, I have one copy. My son has one. My daughter has one. My wife has one. So there's four copies in this house left. I sold all the others. And my wife is so awesome. She bought the three. She contributed. You know, it was our money, but she bought the three for the the kids Mm. and for her. And I kept one for myself that was like a pre-copy. I had five, like, test runs made. And on the test runs, I used a pen name because I didn't know if I was going to want to go through with this thing. So I have one of those. And I took it out today because you had mentioned you wanted to talk about my writing. And this is what I'm doing here, I guess. But I... I didn't know. I, I was very. I was very proud of it, and I think there are stories in there. Like my shit's grimy. There's some really hard stuff in there. You know, I talk about my father's passing, and there's an essay called "Sometimes I Think About Dying," that in which I envision myself dead. You mean and what real, bro? Happened with my children and my wife. Shit is real. With regards to fishing, and she would take them, you know, and try, and and I talk about some hard things, and and I also talk about some incredible things. There's really, an essay about. My friend, uh, my friend Alan caught a tiger trout up here in, in a pretty unique way. And, and it was a great, it's just a great fishing story, you know? And so I just wanted to share and I wanted to make, make something that would last, you know? And in New England, in New England, we have stone walls and you, they are everywhere you go in the woods, everywhere. And there are untold miles of these things. And if you're anything like me and you're walking and you come across maybe an old foundation and you see that this has been built by hand and you find the stone walls that would enclose the property and and you follow them and they're moss covered and crumbling, but still strong and standing. And, and you look at that stuff and you're like, somebody put that effort in here. You know what I'm saying? Somebody, somebody ground it out and they got every stone that the earth had given them and they did something well with it. And, and that's what I try to do with, with regards to writing. I try to, to take what gift I have. And I, I'm, I'm loath to call it a gift because I am not talented like, like you know, Bukowski Oh, you're very talented. I'm, I'm just a human being. And, and yet every fishing story has that validity. I could sit around doing this with you guys, and I could finally shut the hell up because my throat's starting to hurt. Oh yeah, here I, I want to say one thing, Chet. I could one of my to any fish story you're willing to throw. At one of, me, no, okay? one of my favorite things I, I've read from you, and I didn't know if it came from somebody else or from you, but it was uh, about like when you catch a fish, like does does it, it what pain does it feel, or you know does its stomach hurt with mine, and when oh, it's hungry, yeah. that was I I I took that even <laughs> just. You know, just that little tidbit. And, yeah. Uh, that, yeah, was, yeah. A, that was a very... I, I, don't I know, know if, what you're talking about, yeah. Jay. That's um, what those are. Those are lyrics of a song okay. by a band called Sloth Rust. Huh. 
They're they're an independent band out of Boston and Sloth, like the animal Sloth, and sure. then Rust, like your rusty ass Jeep Cherokee sitting right here. Mm-hmm. But um, mm-hmm. the song is called um, what is that song called? Because that's been like an anthem around this house lately. Um, I gotta look it up for you now. Oh, just that, that was pretty cool. I just but I thought the it related. Are, um, my stomach hurts. Does your stomach hurt? Do our stomachs hurt together? I feel pain. Do you feel pain? Well, will this pain last forever? And I was actually. It, I'm really glad that you said that because that's what I was thinking about is like, what would a fish think? You know what I mean? And one of my stories, probably the best thing I ever wrote is a story called down flag, which is about ice that fishing. 100% the best It is a great story. Yeah. And I'll admit that like, I, I'm, I'm not a, a I don't brag or I, and I don't publicize myself ever. My wife publicizes me sometimes. And, and, and I'll admit that I'll say like, I do. I feel leery of putting this on Facebook, and she'll be like, "Why? I'm gonna throw it up there." And I'm like, "You're awesome," but <laughs> I, I don't like to push myself forward that way. And it speaks to being independent. You know, that's the great thing about self-publishing. My friend Carol is is 73 years old, and she began writing when she retired and her husband died. And her writing is beautiful, and it's just about her life. And she's independently published her own little books, and I'm blessed by by her sharing them with me. And she supports me like crazy. You know, she loves my kids. And, and she's a lady in the neighborhood that we visit regularly. And and she inspires me as well. Because here's a 73-year-old lady who decided, probably at age 70, to pick up a pen. You know what I'm saying? And that's that's dope. I want to mm-hmm. hear your story. That's that's really cool. But I I, I think that, that allowing for that independence, like the SoundCloud guys do or like Slothrust does, you can take your stuff and you can do whatever you want. We have free speech here, and that is a blessing and a curse. But for me, it's a blessing. I, I could do whatever. I could write a horrific thing and publish it, and then I could nail it to a tree and say, here you go. Somebody read this shit. I left an essay on the beach at Cape Cod. <laughs> I printed it <laughs> off, and I was like, I'm going to bring this out there and read it. And I got done reading it, and I thought about Jasper and about the book in, in the camp. And I put it under a rock. And I wonder today if someone had picked that up and read it. You know, it's kind of neat to be to be able to just say, I cast this into the wind and, you know, I let it I let it go and and see what happens with it. And and again, like you telling me you're so proud of me, man, that keep you going. Mike Talmarks. Mike Talmarks made a comment to me about my writing. And Mike is a huge inspiration of me. Transfer waiter. Oh, yeah. If there's a guy that I would suggest you get on the show, you get the training on here and you have a fucking show. Let me tell you. I, but, don't, I don't know if my liver can stand up to that anymore. I know. Right. Uh. But, but his stories and, and his ability as an angler is, is he's excellent. He's, he's phenomenal. Have you angler. got the fish with Mike? What's that? Have you got the fish with Mike? I have um, a couple times. And okay. he's been to visit and... And truthfully, he's one of my closest friends, and I love him. He's he's a wonderful human being, and mm-hmm. he's he's endlessly fascinating. Who else do you know that's caught tigerfish in Africa? You know, no, no one, <laughs> no, no yeah. one, no one. Who else has caught gila and Apache trout on one trip? I don't know. You know, maybe Zor, but, but and, dudes, dudes do that. Sh- he does that shit. Mike gets out there, and he's had a really hard time during the COVID because he hasn't been able to travel, and being a single man who's you know relatively um comfortable financially just i'm not saying comfortable he, he's got enough bucks he could travel and this guy gets out there and that's a big inspiration he he's done things i can't imagine doing he fishes I for a lot of them brookies too to florida for a weekend to catch a peacock this dude entered the drake big year contest 
And I want to say he ended up with 70 species on a fly rod in one year. No fucking shit. And that's yeah. ridiculous. Um, consider that. And he came in third, right? He came in third, yeah. yeah. And and I was pulling for him big time, let me tell you, because he was an inspiration. Tranny's a man. But, um, I remember doing shotgun and beers with Tranny at four in the morning. Yeah, I bet. I bet. <laughs> Up he, in Lake when Erie. When he came and visited me, one thing that Mike is doing, this is fascinating. Mike is attempting to catch a native brook trout in every state in America that they existed in, period. I believe there are 14 states, and when he came to Connecticut and got one, that made 11 for him. And that's fascinating. I mean, think about that. He's caught the Georgia trout, North Carolina. Um, Connecticut, Maine, um, and the states he has left, I want to say, are easy. So I've been trying to get him back. Like he needs a mass trout, and I want to put him on one of them salters. They got they got salt running brook trout on Cape Cod. So oh, like, oh get up wow! Here, How about West Virginia and Virginia? Away, you know, has he done them? PA. Which one? West Virginia, Virginia. Oh, like, oh, he he owns West Virginia. That mm-hmm. dude is he's caught every fish in West Virginia. I guarantee you. Um, that's too close. To, he lives in North Carolina. So yeah, I mean. His range of, of influence is wide, and he's willing to drive, and and he's he's one of the most talented anglers I've ever seen. I want to say he's ambidextrous fishing, fly fishing, which is an incredible skill for a blue liner. He's he's a very very effective. Well, blue who doesn't liner. do that, right? We have both. What's that? You got, I, I cast with both hands. Do you really, Jay? You I can at least You're roll kidding. cast with both hands. Absolutely. Dude, when well, I grew up, we, my hands would be freezing in Erie. If I didn't know how to roll cast, roll with my left hand, my fucking hands would go numb. Seriously? Oh, I could roll cast well with both hands, depending on situation. Absolutely. Right. No, I can't That's even touch myself with my left hand. Like you had to do it because Erie, huh? I should learn. Yeah. Because my right elbow sucks. You know. The roll That's cast, really at least. I mean, I'm not going to double. I never all, practiced but... it. I never tried it. I just always assumed I couldn't. I mean, there's certain things I can only do right-handed. Maybe you can do them seven <laughs> yeah. times a day. Don't elaborate. Yeah, yeah. Do yeah. not elaborate, around, sir. You know, like, I can only do it right-handed, and I can yeah. only fly fish right-handed. But Mike is capable on both hands, I believe. And and um, he told me about my writing. Anyway, I get way off the track, but... We he did. I asked you about a muskie, like and you and you got all into this writing that. stuff. No, I wanted really to hear sweet. about this damn muskie. I'm sorry. I, I, I'm going to interrupt you real quick. I yeah, wanted yeah, to hear I a story a about a damn muskie, and and good, you got man. into all your writing stuff, which is was yeah phenomenal talk. So, so I want to hear the muskie talk. And I'm sticking to it. And when I'm done, I'm hanging up the phone. Damn right. Is this your first and only muskie? This is my first and only muskie story. It's it's a great story too, and I was very proud of catching it. I didn't deserve it. So. I went to Wisco and I met Justin and we, we ended up down in, in, uh, in Brad, at Brad's and, and he put us on the boat and we went out in his towie and, um, we went up river from a bar slash restaurant that allowed him to launch. And, you know, if you've been out there in North Wisco, this bar restaurant is a pretty rare thing. I mean, this is a unicorn, you know, <laughs> there's nothing there and, it, and there's a bar. So I'm like, this is rad because we're going to go fish. And then I'm going to get to buy Brad Bowen a fucking beer and some dinner. You know, that's cool as shit. I mean, this is one guy I've followed my whole life. And Afton Angler, he supported me and, and he, he, he appreciated my writing and he gave me tips on what to do as I was trying to learn the Predator game. And, and he's helped out a shit ton of people with regards to the Predator game. And I'm one of them. So I was like the fish with Brad. And we're going up river on the flambeau. And we come to a, a weed bed. And we had brought, like I said, there's going to be a smallmouth trip. And that's totally fine with me. I knew I was going to fish musky when I got with, with Fred and Kevin and Josh and, and got down around, um, around the Wisconsin River or in southern Wisconsin. I knew there was different water that would definitely have muskies that we'd be fishing. So I was like, 
I'm down to do the smallmouth. And truthfully, on this trip, I felt that catching one fish of any species was was it made the day. It would have been validation. Yeah, just one fish on a fishing trip, dude. TSA, you got the target species, great. But if you didn't, you caught a fish, hey, that, that's cool, you know? So it was a musky trip for me, but it was also just to meet a bunch of guys who I respected and, and have some fun and go see an area that, for me, had always been, you know, the Shangri-La. I considered the north woods of Wisconsin the place that I always wanted to get to. And finally, I was there. And I was on the boat of, of a guy who kind of, you know, basically built that game. And, and it was a game I wanted to learn. A very intelligent man once said to me that if you want to learn something, find the guy who's the best at it that you know and get in a room with him. And that's how you start. And I didn't get in a room. I got on a boat with Brad, and that was rad. So we're out fishing, and we come to a weed bed. And I had on a big black Dahlberg diver. And he says, chuck it up right in there. I says, all right. I chuck it up in there. Hey, Chad. Muscle thump, yo. Was it bigger because it was black? <laughs> Jesus Christ, Chad. Possibly. We have Possibly. gone a long time <laughs> here. A giant you, black You have Dahlberg. edit capabilities. When does shit air? So anyway, <laughs> it was a big black Dahlberg diver, and I throw it up in the in the weeds, and I get two pulls. You know how a Dahlberg is; it's sick. And and a muskie come clear out the water to eat it. Not a huge fish, but a muskie for sure. And I missed the set. I I bass set. I didn't trout set. I bass set. <laughs> a big I had a big swinging really set. Nice Smallmouth, and that was fun. And I missed him. And um, and Brad says you pulled it right out of his mouth. I was like, yep, I sure did. <laughs> and we kept fishing. So we were going up river and then we drifted down. He he stopped at that weed bed for whatever reason and probably knew there was a muskie there, to be honest. But anyway, so we're drifting back down. It's it's almost dark fall and we're starving. And and we've had a wonderful trip, caught a lot of smallmouth, put a lot of flies in the woods and got them out and talked and, and, and had fun. And, and he's a really, at least to me, Brad was a really warm and, 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 and kind individual, and I enjoyed his company quite a bit. And I, I was, like I said, a little starstruck, admittedly, because I'm a small-town guy, and I never thought I'd meet Brad, just like I never thought I'd see a mountain lion, to be honest. But <laughs> So um, we're coming back down, and, and he says, you know, at the, at the bar, they make dinner like three nights a week. I says, all right, what's for dinner? You know, I'm starving. And he's like, well... I, I, that night there was ribs and fried fish. I said, I'm going to have one of each. <laughs> so we're coming back down. It's getting dark and it's getting cold. It was very cold when we were there. And, and I says, he says, put it back in the weed bed. And I put it back in again. And, and the fish hit me and we're drifting down and I'm in the back of the boat. And this time I strip set. And as you guys know, getting them on top ain't easy. No, especially oh, even no. a big Dahlberg ain't exactly the perfect hook for getting a muskie. You know, it ain't a muskie hook. It's a bass hook. So I strip set and I missed him. <clears throat> and we're drifting slowly. And he says, you want me to row back up? I says, no, man, no. I, um, I just built a cast and I had, I bombed it back up and Justin's, you know, on the front of the boat and, and the muskie hit me again. And I strip set again. And I missed it. And and Brad is, is kind of despondent at this point. Because as any guide would, you, you want to put a guy on a fish. Even if he's just your buddy. And I'm not a guide, but I want to put you on a fish when you come fish with me. You know? Yep. So I says, I says to Brad, I go, hey, man, don't worry about it. I said, I've had the best day. And I said, 
The fact of the matter is I didn't deserve it because I ain't made nowhere near 10,000 casts. And he says to me, Chad, it ain't about deserve. And I said, I put that right in my back pocket. And we had a wonderful meal and he allowed us to spend the night at the, um, in his RV, actually. I slept in his RV. Justin set up a tent and he slept in the RV in the front. Like he gave me the master bedroom. I couldn't believe it. And, um, in the morning I woke up and I, I stole his, his land cruiser cause I didn't have a car and I took it down and I got us coffee and brought it back. Cause I mean, if anybody knows me drive them land cruisers and Toyotas dope ride and it felt like a company car to me, <laughs> just like Justin's truck did. So I was comfortable with that. I took it, I went, got us coffee. So, and we so you mean goodbyes. the keys were in it? And, and Justin and I drove then down South and met up with Fred and Kevin and all those dudes and Josh and, and John and Tranny. Mike was there. And, um, and we, me and Justin met Fred and Kevin. No, I'm sorry. Me and Justin met Fred and Josh on the river. Cause the other dudes were out floating with Dan Boggs. And, um, Fred says to me, he says, what do you want to fish? I says, I'm fishing muskies, man. I says, I missed one three times yesterday. I didn't deserve it. I still want to fish muskies. I caught plenty of smallmouth. And in the river that we were fishing, you can target muskies, smallmouth, carp. And those dudes were big on carp at the time. They probably still is, but they were fishing carp down river. And Fred put me in the tit spot. And he said, this is a spot you're going to get one if you're going to get one. And I had talked to another dude. This guy, this other Justin had told me, he's like, you got to watch the moon. He's like, you need the moon. And I happened to like look it up or, or I think I actually called Pogo because Pogo had that app that was like, this is how you, you know, your major and minors and all that shit. And, and it was a major. And I, I felt confident in that. And the river that we were fishing is very, very difficult to wade. And I had the bad hips. And you can picture like triple sized bowling balls, slick as shit, and a heavy, heavy, wide, fast moving river. So it's not fast moving, it's heavy. You know what I mean? Up on your thighs, up on your butt, it's heavy. To fish it, what you must do is wade to a spot. Slowly and carefully, and you're probably going to eat it, but get your feet set and fish. And then when you have to move, reel in, I found, move to the next spot, you know, wade down three steps, find a way to get your feet comfortable and fish. So I started doing that, and Justin was fishing muskies with me, and, and Fred and Josh were down fishing carp. And I saw this, this in the flow, probably 60 foot out. I seen this little winking and I thought of trout fishing, how sometimes when I would be fishing streamers for trout, I'd be like, that's a rock over there. You know, yeah. like you can see something and it's, it, it's the current breaking on a rock and it may be very slight. Like this was, it's kind of like a girl like, winking at you at the end of the bar. You're exactly right. And you're like, that's a fucking hiding spot. And that's a current break. And I found one of those and I said, that's where I'm going to work too. Because that cougar. I couldn't wait well. You know what I mean? Yeah, Cougar, exactly. So I waited into position, and I started working that rock. Now, if I hadn't missed the muskie three times the day before, I wouldn't be repeating my mantra in my head, which is strip set. Strip set. Strip set. Every strip, you know, strip set. I try to do that. Pogo gave me an interesting tip about strip setting. Pogo said, you want to learn a strip set? He said, go out at night. Take your bass rod, cast a streamer into some weeds, strip set. And I did that. I practiced that. 
a number of times where I would just go out and I'd be like, I'm going to bomb this weighted streamer into them weeds and I'm going to pretend I'm fishing and I'm going to strip set and I'm going to gonna try to hit. You know what I mean? I'm going to pull that bait so that when I strip set for real, I I am ready to do that. I want, I want, I want to establish some sort of a muscle memory that would say, this is how you strip set, you know? So I had felt like I had kind of learned that, but obviously I hadn't because I fucked it up three times a day before with Brad and the same fucking fish. So it's in my head. And I got hit right at that rock. And I kid you not, I strip set three times. And I remember this as if I remember my wedding day or better than it. I strip set until I could do no more. And there was nothing to do but raise the rod. You understand what I'm saying? Like, I strip, I hit it so hard the first time, but I did it two more times and I could gather no more purchase and I raised the rod. And I instantly knew that it was not a small fish. My muskie was 42 inches. And in that river system that we were in, I feel that's on the high side. I think, and I know that that fish lives its whole life fighting current. And it, it lives a difficult existence because it's a harsh environment. It, it's very rough. It probably eats a lot of crayfish. It eats anything it can. And it, it fights current its whole life. It was a strong fish. Oh, it's an athlete. It was, it was easily the best piece of angling I've ever done. <laughs> because it hit me and it was in the middle of the pool probably. Once I had got done stripping it, it was probably like 50 feet out. And I had 70 foot of line with me. You know what I mean? Out. And it hit me at 50 feet, and I knew I was on a big fish. And the fish instantly turned and moved downriver. And I looked down, and I had about 20 feet, and I saw that it was heading for these rocks. And I did the smartest thing I could have ever done, which was I I turned my rod mid-river and put it in the water. So it had to fight, and it wanted to – I held there. You know, I had 100 pound on. Fred was like, use two foot 100, and that's what you use. And I was like, yep, in. Cause he knew the game and I didn't. And, and I turned it back to the middle of the pool and it didn't earn the reel. I thought it was going to earn the reel when it went down that way. And it didn't. And I turned it back to the middle and that became a problem later because I had line on the water and I should have had it on the reel, but understand, I didn't know what I was doing really. And suddenly I'm on a big, angry fish and I did well to bring it back up in the middle of the pool. At which point it jumped all the way out of the water all the way. And Fred and Josh were probably a hundred yards down and Justin had broken off and he, he broke his fly line on a stick up cause he was trying to get the fly off and he broke the fly line. So he was back in the truck getting a new spool and I didn't want to yell for somebody initially because honestly, I was like, you're going to lose this fish. You can't <laughs> wait here. You can't move. You're on a giant. At least for me, you know, again, good fish for you. You know, it was, it was a good fish and, it's bigger I than a musky ever. Really I had no one to help me. So after it came all the way out of the water and I saw the fish and I knew what I was dealing with, like I knew it was a good fish, but then it came all the way out and I knew I was like, oh shit, you know? <laughs> and I yelled out to to Fred and Josh. I would love to, to have a, a video recording of what I yelled. I don't remember what it was, but <laughs> I screamed, you know, and, and I looked down towards them. And at that point, I started getting the head shakes. So I'm like, he's tiring, you know? And I said, you keep tight. And, and again, I, he didn't earn the reel. So I got lined downstream. And I'm like, this is dangerous. And I don't know how to wade from here. I'm probably 60 foot away from shore in a 200-yard yard wide river. More than 60 now that I say that. 
a 200 yard wide, wide, fast, hard river. And I didn't know what to do. So I began to work the fish back towards me and towards shore. And then I knew it was spent. It still had some life to it, but I had to move quickly and get to shore. And it was very difficult to do. And I, I hurt my hips badly doing that. And I know it now as I, when I got home, I wasn't the same. And I'm pretty sure it was that fish that did it because it was real tough to stay balanced and tight and deal with the line that's downstream and wade through this hellish wading situation to get the fish to shore. And no one's there. But as I looked down, I glanced down, I'm like, oh, damn, Fred and Josh are not in the water. So they heard. And sure enough, those two were sprinting upstream on, on the trail. And they got there just when I was getting the fish in shallow. And and Justin did a video of this. And, and his video picks up. Like, Justin arrives at roughly the same moment. And I say, I say, can somebody help me come land this fish? And Josh and Fred begin to slowly wade in. And they can't wade quickly because it's dangerous wading. And at that point, the fish comes out of the water again. And... It doesn't reach full out of the water, but its head and, and nine, uh, 70% of his body come out and it shakes, you know, like a damn dragon. And, um, and Fred laughs and it's a really, it's a beautiful laugh where he's like, ho, ho, ho. And Josh says, nice fish, dude. And they're wading towards me and the fish is spent. And you can see in the video, like the tension in me is I'm, I'm, I'm so close to a life goal. And I thought when it came out the water that last time, that it was gone. You know, I was like, you you see one come, you don't want to see it come up. You all no, know hell no. Well. So, and I don't know musky fishing, but I know that enough. You know, you don't want to see that damn thing come up mm-hmm. and shake its giant head. And, and uh, Fred and Josh got there and Fred, uh, Josh grabs a tail and it kicks. And Josh's hand comes full off the tail because the thing was still strong a little bit. And, um, and then he gets a tail and he says, lock his jaw and Fred gets a jaw. And I, I release. you can see the tension in me go as I've just done it. You know what I mean? And the moment was electric. There's never been a moment and there will never be a moment in my fishing life that, that does that same thing. Your first muskie. I'm sure every one of you guys remembers your first muskie. Now. Mm-hmm. You've got all the options and, and the access. And I told those fellas after doing this, I says, listen, and I, and they were so sick of hearing this, but it was an earnest statement on my part where I said, I know I don't deserve it. And I'm so grateful for you guys putting me on there, you know? And, and I, I told, I said so many times, Josh got sick of it. <laughs> now we had to work that muskie as hard as we could to keep it alive. Now, Fishing is a blood sport and things can go wrong that cost animals their lives that you don't mean as an angler. And I've wondered many times about post-release mortality of that particular fish because I fought it long and you know that musky fights are short fucking brawls, but this was a, was a relatively long fight and it was relatively warm water. If well oxygenated, no doubt, but we worked the fish and we released it and it slunk back into the lake or into the river rather. And it went back and, and it left, but I don't know if it lived. And so Josh's joke for me has traditionally been since then, you know, like it died. <laughs> <laughs> it, actually, I believe what he said was you nice fish. It, too bad it died or something <laughs> along those lines. And that's been our joke with each other kind of 
where whenever I talked to him about any fishing, or I, I wrote him a letter recently where I was, I don't remember what I said exactly, but it was like basically, I kill everything that I catch. <laughs> <laughs> I have no respect for animals. I enjoy musky steaks, which could be nothing but part steaks. of the truth, but that's our joke, and I was so grateful. One final addition there is we were driving from Brad's down to Southern Wisco, and we saw some Amish, and Justin had driven from the Ozarks to Minneapolis to pick me up. So when he got me, he's like, here's the keys, you're the wheel man the rest of the weekend. I'm done driving. I was like, you got it, buddy, and I drove. And... um we saw some Amish, and I said, Justin, I've never seen an Amish. I handed him my camera. I use a, a Olympus TG, and, and no, I handed him a quick You don't quick take pictures camera. of them. Well, come, if you come to Pennsylvania, they, they use the phone in my house, so you're more than welcome to come take pictures of the no Amish. No shit. Talk so to I said them. to Justin, I was like, I want a picture of the Amish. And he goes, you know you can't do that because yeah. they think you take the soul. I was yeah. like, oh, shit. And I said to Justin, I was like, you know what, buddy? I'm glad that I didn't do it anyways. <laughs> Not the uh, young yeah, ones. Right. They smoke pot and everything. So, and this is the truth. And he bagged me up. I said, I'm glad I didn't catch that musky because I didn't want to take anything from here. You know, I, I, I didn't want to take its soul because I would have damn well photographed it. Now next, <laughs> now, next day I caught one and I made him take about, you know, 20 pictures. You know, we, 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 we took those photos because it was the moment of my life and, and I was so proud of myself, you know, a small town guy. And and it was really special to catch that with the people that I was with, too, who make a fishing trip. You know, like even if you don't catch anything and you have really good friends or or like minded folk and you, you get to know them better. That's that's worth the price of admission right there. You know what I'm saying? That's 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 90 percent of the battle is is having an experience together or or being being in the same water, you know, it, it's important and special for me, at least. A fishing trip, do that. a fishing trip, isn't always about the fish, right? Well said. So, well said. Well, so, hey, yeah. Hey, Chad, that's my musky story. It's been like two and, and a half we hours. We fucking loved it. Dude. I, oh, oh, absolutely, it was great. Long, but we, I have we, really enjoyed telling you guys my story. No, I hope that, um, don't ever be shy to be on here. Man. Every, we love you. Every fishing story is worth guys, a damn. Too. Right. You guys have been a huge inspiration to me, and, and I'm I'm proud to say that that I've I've been, you know what I've been down since day one, motherfucker. Because I I was you know I was, <laughs> day one day I was one Chad before y'all did a Chad a one. We'll call you that from now on. Hey. I really look forward to being out in you guys' neck of the woods. You know the Rust Belt's a special place, and and where you guys live is a special place. And I got to make a commitment to get back out there because I want to go back up to Jay's camp. One final thing. Yeah, what's One up? One final thing because I forgot to say this is, this is the joke I've been working on all week. <laughs> <laughs> the camp I looks went nicer to start now. With this at the beginning of the show. So SBS is kind of must be having a hard time getting folk to come on because they got rejected by a can of worms down at some Yinzers camp, and they came all the way out to Connecticut to find somebody. <laughs> can of worms. <laughs> I love you guys. I like Thank it, man. Thank you for having oh, me. It's been an honor, and I, I look forward to uh, conversating and being friends with y'all for years to come. Thank you for 